0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, January 20th. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines right now. Start dialing to Friday free for all. I've got Joel and Henry in the house with me. I think uh, John is still off busy racing somewhere. We'll take your calls and questions, so line them up, 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Jump in, and we're just going to get started here. We're uh, Looks like Joel, you're first up on the board this morning. Welcome back.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. What's on your mind this morning?
1: Well, I am setting at. Air Dog headquarters this morning. I had a trip out west, and uh, typically I run 80 across, but they got a bunch of snow in Nebraska and whatnot, so I jumped down on 70, and uh, I made it out into their area, so I figured I'd swing down and, and see what they have going on, and, and uh, we're working on a couple projects here that we'll probably talk about. Oh, in a few months anyway, it's not quite ready to, to be released, but they're, they're tinkering with the truck as we speak, you know, doing some things, some adjustments. And, uh, so that's pretty cool.
0: Excellent. And, Tell uh, all the AirDog people we said, good morning. <laughs>
1: I, I will do that. I will pass that along. <laughs> so no, it was great. I was able just to call Jay and say, Hey, look, I'm going to be on 70. And he said, well, if you can swing by. And so here we are. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Great, great bunch of people to, to work with. Um, obviously you saw some of the, the data that I'd been working on with the fuel gauges stuff where we were pulling some things apart and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting data. It's, it's eye opening in one sense. It's definitely not definitive, but, um, you know, it's something that my, my back office guy Alec is working on putting together some stuff and and drilling down a little bit more and uh as we get that data put together I'll send it over to you and you can have a peek at it and then if you want to throw it out in uh yeah the real world we'll do that
0: yeah a couple things on on this um one that's you know that that has been on our project list for about 10 years that's one of those things that's just been sitting out there and, and we haven't made a big effort at it we're you know, the program sits there and collects data, which is pretty nice. A lot of people use it. I think we have about a hundred thousand trucks on there now and six or seven million fuel tickets. Um, a lot of data. And and we know there's a ton of good yes. information in there. So our programmers have a list, but I, I have no idea when they're gonna get to it because uh, you know, coming off Sirius XM, it the biggest hit for us was the programmers i mean we had to take them off of every other project just about to get us up and running on this and they're still working on our broadcast app but at some point we will probably put your back office guy in touch with our programmers and they can work on some ideas on what kind of stuff to pull out
1: i would love to do that alec is an he's just an absolute genius at statistics. He's yeah, very, very good. It's one, one of the reasons I picked him up. I mean, he's, he's just fabulous at, you know, the data mining stuff and getting through and, and figuring out how to, how to make that data work. So that would be a, a, a great collaboration I think. Um, and I think it's important for that to happen. I don't think people really understand how useful that information can be if we can get it into a more usable form where we can really drill down and extract usable information out of it. The information I got initially was just interesting. You know, it's very hard to use in that raw form. But um, yeah, I think that that would be one hell of a resource for, for everybody. I mean, it, it would just be great.
0: Yeah. And you know, the data always needs cleaned up. It's not as easy as just saying, oh, let's search for this. The part of the problem is you've got to get rid of outliers. You have to decide what what criteria you're going to use to say something is an outlier. You know, you, so it, there's a lot of work to it, but there's a ton of good data in there. You know, I'll address the data you pulled out. Let's talk about it a little bit. Um, for the listeners, uh, Joel went through the the fuel gauges database and just separated trucks out by make. Um, give us the criteria that you put in to, to pull these numbers out, Joel.
1: So, so what I what I done is I just took 2022 um, model year trucks. I searched by engine manufacturer and then plus fifty fill-ups and then just kind of group those together. And I just got a basic average. There was no weighted averages. There were, you know, I, I, I took guys like me and Henry and Clark out of the picture because it would skew things, um, just on that simple average. And is the simple average definitive and super useful? It's, it's more interesting than right. anything. It definitely needs right. some drill down, but what it, it does demonstrate, um, I think it kind of shows how important specs are in a truck. When we look at guys like me and Henry that are just out here killing it, and then we look at just a simple average, an overall average, where things are at, it leaves some people scratching their head and going, that's horrible. And yeah.
0: it, it, it is horrible, <laughs> I know.
1: but there's there's a lot of reasons for that. And when we look at common specifically who had the lowest simple average there's a lot of reasons for that and one of the big reasons i think is they had the biggest sample size so they have more variation on duty cycle and they probably have less control over the entire spec of the truck than a volvo or a freightliner would so these could be going into you know classic shape trucks they may have goofy specs as far as gearing and It creates a lot of challenges for Cummins. Is it to say that the Cummins engine can't get fuel efficiency? No, it's not saying that. Um, directly, but it does show some of the challenges that Cummins has to overcome being just an engine manufacturer and not being vertically integrated and having a lot of control over the entire platform.
0: Yeah, I've said several times in the last year, Cummins just needs to go buy a truck manufacturer and integrate. I I don't know how they're going to make it if they don't, really. I I think it's going to be a huge struggle for them. There's so much to talk about around this data as you're talking. My head's just spinning. Um, one thing I said, you know, you, you get rid of the outliers, but you have to decide what criteria you set some criteria as an outlier that I wouldn't have, but I understand why you did it. I, I would not take you and Henry and, and all the others and, and Steve Crone and, um, Jamie and I, I wouldn't take those out, Alec, I, because those are real numbers, we, what we consider outliers are they just are. mistakes. You know, people start an account, they put in a couple entries, they screw it up, they're getting 122 miles to the gallon, and they just abandon the account. And and we, you know, at a certain point, sure. we may go in and delete those. But that's what we consider outliers. They're just mistakes. You know, that there's no way somebody's sure. getting 1.2 miles to the gallon, and there's no way somebody's getting 20 miles to the gallon. So, sure. And then the other thing it's a little interesting that um, Cummins had the largest um be interesting to match that up against engine sales cuz they're not the most popular engine wonder why we have you know more Cummins than
1: uh, Well they they build across brands and so I think you know there's going to be Packars and Freightliners and yeah. and volvos and you know, all the brands are included in there. So the Packard and the Volvo sample size were very similar. Okay. Um, Detroit was quite a bit bigger, as you would expect. Um, And then Cummins was the biggest. Um, And, you know, the the sample sizes on just the 2022s with plus 50 Phillips, you know, was there enough real uh, data there or was the sample size big enough to learn a whole lot? Not really. My interest was, you know, several years ago, when you looked at Volvo from an overall perspective, their average fuel efficiency wasn't all that impressive, really.
0: No, it wasn't. Um, it
1: was probably closer to the bottom bottom of the pack, and yeah. you've said that and pointed that out multiple times, and, and we're right to do so. Um, looking at it just from that 30,000-foot overview now, uh, they're, they're kind of leading the pack, um, and a lot of that is because, most of those trucks are going to end up in an on highway duty application. Volvo's done a hell of a good job at spearheading the downsped concept. So most likely more of those trucks are downsped with better aerodynamics than, you know, a lot of yeah. the pack our stuff's going to have. Uh, because of the square yeah. hoods and the long
0: wheelbase. You know, there's one thing we could probably say about the Cummins. If we dig into the data, we're going to find that Cummins engines get put in more unaerodynamic trucks probably than any other engine now. You know, 15 years ago we could have said that was cat, but that's not the case anymore. So, and you're also going to see probably the Cummins spec more in extreme Situations, Heavy haul, Heavy haul I, yeah, and So and vocational applications. Guys. Yeah, so when I looked at that number, I was shocked. I, I expected the pattern kind of to be the way it was. I didn't expect the numbers to be as different as they were. Give us the—I'm not looking at it right now. Give us the the Volvo overall average in the comments because that was the top and the bottom.
1: Right, so um, I don't have it right in front of me, but the the Volvo was right close to seven point five on the overall That's what average, I thought, yeah. and and the
0: uh, the five. Cummins
1: was in like the high fives, I five believe.
0: 5.9, I think, um, yeah.
1: on that old yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that, and and then Packard and Detroit were were very close to each other, kind of right in the middle at six point eight ish, right around there. There wasn't much that separated them. So um, it was interesting, nothing definitive. I know I, I posted that and a lot of people got upset and, you know,
0: they took <laughs> it real hard. It, it wasn't intended for that. <laughs> exactly. and it, it was not, not intended to point. be definitive. <laughs> so here would I be... I think the reason that
1: I, 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 the reason I threw it out there was just to say, hey, look, here's a data set what? that we're working with. Here's what it initially shows. And we're going to try and drill down just, just for some transparency yeah. more than anything else, you know, so people go, oh, where'd you get that data at? You know, you,
0: you know it's skewed and bought a lot of... Yeah. So <laughs> well, <it's> like, just... <laughs> we, we will start to show, look, this isn't skewed. When you start talking about thousands or tens of thousands of samples, that's how you work out the averages. That's where averages are important. You know, we always say, well, yes. who really cares about the average? I don't want to be average. I want to be way better than average. And then, I don't really care yeah. about anybody else. I just track myself against myself, and I want to keep improving. But there is a yeah. ton of really interesting data in here when we start to pull it out. One of the next things, and I think you even mentioned this in the message you sent to me, let's go to 2021, 2020, 1918, and, and we'll have this whole run yeah. of, say, 10 years, and let's see if the manufacturing yeah. has shifted. Maybe there was a, a year back, we go back yes. in there and, you know, PACCAR did better. Or There's, a, a, what about this? What about when we start sorting this information by month? Yes. Take the entire yes. database, yeah, everybody, and say, yep. what what is the average yep. fuel economy in January and what is it in, you know, September? And you're going to see a significant difference. Yes. yes. Yes,
1: absolutely. No doubt about it. So one of the reasons that I, I kicked out the hyper milers out of this group, so what I kind of wanted to do was, was get a very hardcore, just kind of a baseline overview and then take guys like me and Henry and Clark and then put those numbers up and say, okay, here's what the average is. You know, here's what happens when we add standard deviations to it. And here's what the potential is when you get everything right with a good driver. So that average doesn't always reflect what the potential is. In fact, it right. almost never does. And when you look at well, the averages there, especially on the common side, you're going to run away from it and go, oh, my God, that's horrible. That's not necessarily yeah. the case. Let me, so what I'd re- really love to do is pull out like the top four or five top performers in each one, and that way we can demonstrate potential against the average the, and then you know factor in the standard deviations and all that all that type of
0: stuff. You know as we talk about this I get ex- so so excited. Every time I like I said this project has been sitting on the shelf for years and every time I go back and start thinking about it I want to just go hire another programming team and get them working on this. You know think about this. <laughs> what if what if we had this dashboard where you pull out the volvo that's in there with the highest fuel economy and that gets posted as the leader and every other volvo can be ca- compared against it how are you doing how much money is this costing you not to reach that potential yes yes,
1: yes. here's what this spec does with yeah. a driver that knows what he's doing here's what your potential is here's where everybody is at and, and that that Um, I think given the, the potential is very important because I don't think sometimes people understand. And I bumped up against this with a couple people that I help spec trucks. So I lay out what I consider to be the most optimal spec. And a lot of times it's a little shorter wheelbase than what people are comfortable with. The gap's a little tighter than what people are comfortable with. I don't have a deer guard up front. And so they'll take... Eighty-five percent of what I give them, and then they'll lengthen the wheelbase for whatever reason, or they'll put a deer <laughs> guard on the front. And then winter time comes, and they're looking at my numbers, they're looking at their numbers, and they're going, "What the hell? Yeah, right. You're the only person that can do this." No, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> it. it, it you, you, you you have to pay attention to the details, and details and we matter. We need to be able to demonstrate that a little clearer because because people sometimes. You know, I, I get it, especially with the old school guys. They like a certain look. You just have to understand what that look is going to cost
0: you. Right, right. I'm um, not, I'm not saying don't do it. Just just be aware of what right, you're spending right. for that.
1: Yes. Yes, and, then don't, and, and there's a level of frustration. You know, the people that I work with have all been great. They all understood what they were doing because I explained it to them. I said, if you do this, this, and this, especially in the wintertime, it's going to hurt. They do get a little. They do get a little frustrated when it starts to hurt in <laughs> wintertime. But and, and that being said, I, I looked at their numbers. Some of the people are on fuel gauges, and they're leading their groups right. that they're in right. when I broke the groups out. But they're still they're looking at what I'm doing versus what they're doing, and they're like, "How can it be three mile a gallon difference?" Well, <laughs> you know, you've you've got sixty five inches of gap between the truck and trailer, and you got a big moose guard on the front, and the temperatures. Twenty degrees. Yeah, it's going to make yeah. that much difference. There's, there's no doubt. Now, when the weather warms back up, the numbers will get a little bit closer, and then they're happy.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I, I yeah, want to go back to that something. Data is before I forget. Be great, because this is how powerful this data can be. You said something when you were talking about Volvo's that for years I've been hard on Volvo engines, and you're right, it's been since the Mm -hmm. early 2000s when they first came over here. I started looking at them and, you know, thinking about, I just, I wasn't impressed. I wasn't seeing, you know, a a lot of usable power. I wasn't seeing good fuel economy. Then you have the problem of who's going to work on this thing. So there was just enough reasons for me not to buy that engine. But now sure. that we look, we've look, we been looking at the data year after year, I got to see why that engine is so good, the, the architecture of it. But what was happening before was I wasn't seeing the potential. I was just seeing the numbers, and the numbers sucked. Nobody knew how to spec these things right. So the numbers just sure. weren't impressive. Sure. Yeah. But now, with this data, I, I'm 180 degrees. Uh, The engine that I just said, no, I'd never buy that engine, now becomes, uh, right now, it's probably the only engine I'd want. Uh, And, you know, it's it's all data-driven,
1: and you're exactly right. And even today, when we look at a Volvo that wasn't specced quite right, it's pretty embarrassing for it, me to have is. to look at that. Going,
2: Jesus <laughs> Christ, know. you know,
1: that, that the fuel mileage is terrible, but, he, you know, the guy put a 325 rear end right. gear in it on a, on a manual yeah. transmission, an 18-speed or yeah. whatever, and it, it is what it is at that point. There's nothing I can do about that, but I think it's shocking to a lot of people how much better the truck performs when that spec is right, and I, I know Henry deals with this this same thing all the time. When you, when you look at that Freightliner group, you know the variation in some of the fuel mileages that you see. Um, it's just shocking, you know. You look at Henry's numbers and you think, and man, every Freightliner in the world is going to do that. Just like you look at mine, and guys <laughs> yeah, right. like, man, if I if I buy that truck, yeah. every truck's well. If you get the details right and you understand how to operate what you have. You will put those numbers up. But if you if you don't take care of the details and you don't understand how to operate your equipment, um, you, you're going to struggle. Yeah. And, and, and people just need to be aware of that. It, yep.
0: let, let's think about this whole big picture. We take a truck that's specced incorrectly or we just – you know – I take a lot of heat for beating up on the Cummins so much, but once you learn engine architecture, you, you just look at it and you shake your head and say, why? Why, why did they build this engine like this? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I look at that in the pack art. Personally, I shake my head and go, what the hell? I understand. I understand that before down speeding was a thing, why they went to that short rod, long stroke. I understand that, you know, fast acceleration away from top dead center makes the engine feel uh, a little stronger. Uh, It's more responsive. There is no doubt that early on, one of the reasons that you didn't like Volvo, you just said, I I didn't see the power. A lot of that has to do with how that rod's configured. Now with the turbo compounding, we've kind of solved that problem without making an adjustment to the rod like Cummins has done, which really starts to hurt you in a downsped truck but it's it's kind of okay for a traditionally spec truck so there's a lot to this a lot of moving parts to put together here no doubt and and your your database here it's is, is going to be, uh, I, I'd love just to turn Alec loose on that for about six
0: months and less. <laughs> I know, that's what I, as we're, as we're talking, I'm thinking, uh, where, where can I find a good programming team? I mean, our programmers are just slammed <laughs> every week. I sit there and say, what do I want them working on now? There's so much I want done. Um So we have to look at that, though, because every time I go look at those numbers and they get they keep getting bigger, the bigger the numbers get, the more accurate the data becomes. So I'm excited about it. We just we need to to make that a project. Hey, you know, I I do this every week, Joel. I I bring you in first and you and I start talking and I start wandering around the room and I forget we're actually on a radio show here. yeah, yeah. henry's (laughs) hanging back there and i know he gets frustrated henry are you yelling at your radio again this week not not
3: quite yet you know i'm sitting here trying to be an
0: outlier (laughs) (laughs) i I think i'm just going to get into the habit on this show especially um i'm just going to open the show and bring everybody in Let's just, you know, start the free-for-all. Free-for-all. For there yeah, you go. Let's just let's start it. So jump in, Henry. What do you think?
3: Well, I thought that was interesting when he put his data up there. You know, there's lots of ways to compare it, obviously. I didn't dig into it like Alec had. So I find that interesting. The one that I found interesting that's not on there for it's uh, about five years ago now they had taken my truck and they needed it at the test track, which they were supposed to have it for two weeks, but they had it for seven months. <laughs> and I ended up in a brand new Cascadia <laughs> with a manual, which was really kind of cool for the first week to say, yeah, I can still do this. But what was shocking to me with a regular rental truck running it right, I was only off by five Wow. With, with just a regular rider, Hey, Cummins-powered Cummins truck pulling my Detroit Bannard trailer, which was funny. But <laughs> I, I, I was shocked how, how I well to, I was able to do with it. Henry, I have
0: it. to comment on that Well, because for a year, decades, I, I have complained about rental trucks and tried to figure out how they screw them up so bad. I look at the specs and I'm like, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not as bad as what it sh- seems like, but I... Because I had to rent trucks all the time on my contract. My truck needed to go in the shop, and I've got a run that has to go every day, so I rented a lot, quite a bit. And it used to make me insane. I would, you know, the truck I just put in the shop had 1.3 million miles on it and was getting 8.6 miles to the gallon. And I get this brand new rental truck with all the best technology and I'm getting 5.2. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with these things? <laughs> I, I think drivers' attitudes change when they jump into a
1: rental. I really do. I know, I know I do. When I get out and get into a rental, it's almost like somebody flips the switch and I don't give a damn about nothing. I'm in a rental and foot goes to the floor and
0: off you go. I I don't know why that is because I know better and shouldn't do that, but I I absolutely do it. I know I do. Yeah. Used to just make me crazy. I I really I used to like crawl around (laughs) the truck going what did they do to screw up the fuel economy so bad on these things? (laughs) That's funny. Henry? Did we lose you? Oh, you know what? Did Henry get put back on hold and wandering around the studio again? Uh, <laughs> we may have we may have lost him. What's Henry's issue? Uh,
3: can you hear me now?
0: There you are. Yep, I'm here. Go ahead.
3: Any, anyway, I was shocked at how well I was able to do with it, and I go back to a my first truck when I bought it, which was a '96 Freightliner. And you know, I was flatbed back then, but I was at six eight, but I really built it around a truck that at the time was one of the best fuel mileage trucks I had ever driven. It was a rental truck, forty eight inch sleeper. We were one way empty, but I was flatbed going to job sites and hauling underground and doing all that kind of stuff. And that was a solid, right at eight mile to the gallon truck, and it was to look at the specs, it was a nine speed 360, 400, Series 60 Detroit, 1,450 foot pound of torque, 11R, 225 tires with 411 gears.
0: <laughs> and you'll
3: yeah. get eight miles of the gallon.
0: And we forgot but, about but those. didn't know
3: what a hill was. It, right. It, it it overcome everything with gear, you know. So it, it's amazing how well the rental truck did for me. And same way when I started what was originally Slice of Life, it became Team Run Smart. I wanted something fair to compare it against because I hadn't been in a new truck in five years. So for a month before it, I had rented a ProStar with a Cummins in it, brand new. I mean, it was brand new. I was the first person to drive a rental truck from Penske, and it, it did pretty fair. It didn't do what I did with the DD15, but it did pretty fair. And to me, to look at the specs, it seemed like it was geared too short, but it did all right
0: got it all right uh what should we do should we uh should we just keep blabbing amongst ourselves here should we actually bring in some callers uh,
4: it might I be a good idea to I'm take a call about. or two
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay go ahead Let's take a call or two but I, but i'm excited <laughs> about the the next super truck project that i was just reading about where they're it's, it's not even going to have a diesel engine in it that's that's pretty interesting with the Hydrogen fuel
0: cell. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it is. That was pretty cool. On Tuesday, I was talking about, uh, what's the name of that company, Clear Flame? Is that who that is? Doing the the spark diesel engines so they can burn all kinds of alternative fuels, including ammonia. I'm still having a hard time figuring that one out. I'm not like a (laughs) chemistry major or anything, but that one seems odd.
1: It isn't. Isn't ammonia part of like uh, several years ago when Volvo was doing that synthetic? What was it?
0: Synthetic diesel, diesel?
1: ester. I think that had some something to do with ammonia Maybe as well. So. I'm not exactly sure what, but there was something involved in there. So that may not be as far out there as what you're thinking. I'll see what I can dig up on information. I I know ammonia was mentioned in that somehow, some way. So I'll, yeah, I'll see what I can figure out it, on that. It
0: just seems really, there must be some sort of chemical thing going on with the ammonia, because when you look at a fuel, what you look at is how many BTUs in it. And, and there's almost none in ammonia. There's not a lot of energy in there. I don't really <laughs> get what they're doing. Yeah. I, I don't know either. No idea.
3: Well, well, Kevin, I, I just think it's an an exciting time to be in trucking when, when you, to me, it hasn't been this exciting since way before my time, when they made the switch from horse and wagon to internal <laughs> combustion engines. I mean, we got we got internal combustion engines on the table. We got
2: oh yeah battery
3: electrics. We got fuel cells. We get everything under the sun seems to be under consideration. And it, to me, it's going to be really interesting in the end. I'm not here to say that I want to pick a winner one way or the other on it. What an exciting time that there's so many different options that are on the table. That everything's being looked at.
0: You know, I, I agree with you. If if I didn't have like thirty-seven other unfinished projects, um, one of the things I think would be exciting is, you know, let's go lobby to grab some of that government cheese, and I want to set up a trucking company with one of it, 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 spec each one of these options the best way we possibly can, electric, hydrogen, all, all of them, and then run them in a daily operation and track overall cost. I, I would love to do a project like that, and somebody should.
3: Well, so, you, you know the one I want to do, Kevin, if, if if I had this kind of money to play around with, I'd like to build a truck that ran on corn. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say run on corn, instead of – and where I got the idea, I was at a friend's place that sells Christmas trees, and he also sells pellet stoves that burn corn. And I got to looking at it how they weren't converting the corn into a liquid fuel. They weren't making it into a biodiesel. They weren't making it into an ethanol. Using are to generate heat. Yeah. So, 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 so what if we did that and ran the trucks like you did a Stanley steamer? <laughs> and we There's the corn and had a steam engine ahead of the whole thing.
0: There's a there's yeah, another We'll, just, we'll pull it there's another huge advantage to this idea, Henry. I'm going to tie in Wednesdays with Fridays now. We could get all of that toxic corn out of our food supply and just run our trucks on it instead.
3: <laughs> there you well, go. There, was, well, there you go. I mean, maybe, maybe we could burn the silage and everything. That's burn right. the whole stalk. Don't convert it's it. Right. Don't convert it into anything else. You know what? I mean, seriously. I yeah. Mean, it sounds far-fetched to you start. They ran Stanley steamers that way. It took them 15 minutes to bring up the boiler temperature to be able to go. But a truck, you know, it takes 15 minutes or so to do your pre-trip. So it's up to (laughs) steam and off we go. There you little go engine that couldg chug it chugger, chugger, chugger. yeah it, it, it is
0: it, it is pretty it, it is cool to see a lot of these technologies and and you're right I, I you know what what kind of dampened my enthusiasm was the the first round of the emissions you know it feels like we never really got over that we're finally past it we're seeing these new technologies we're seeing crazy fuel mileage numbers so it, it is exciting I agree let's uh let's get to some calls and, and a tell you why uh did you have something joel no
1: we're good go okay. ahead and take take um, it all. let's get
0: there Yeah, brian brian gets the award today brian was here before i was this morning so uh brian welcome <laughs> yes i've been <laughs> I, waiting very patiently on complete I, <laughs> <dead> silence. <laughs> I, I went to start my show and i'm like wait a minute somebody's already there <laughs> yeah
5: i i just got lucky today i i was listening to the half hour i had left on the power hour and and that's the reason i called the last half hour of the power hour gave me all kinds of stuff to comment on um but but first before i forget uh when you're working for a mega carrier there's as a company driver, there ain't nothing better than a rental truck, man. 62 <laughs> miles an hour goes out the window. Your E-Log goes out the window. That's as close as you're ever going to be to a cowboy. Yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> there you go.
6: Uh, yeah, we can work and,
0: on uh, our speed shifting skills. Well, and yeah. yeah. <laughs>
6: that's
0: right. That's right. Uh, power yeah, brake, burnout. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
5: Yeah, well, well, Joel, you stole my thunder a little bit on the whole data, and it it was uh, it was definitely interesting, but not definitive. I think is how you said that, and uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
5: yeah, the I think I think if we broke it down by truck model and engine make, uh, we could kind of clean things up a little bit and understand things a little more, Um, because. yeah, not just the hoods, but like you said, the the, the Cummins-powered trucks, especially from Packard, have the most retarded gearing. You know, um, <laughs> I,
0: I got a I got a tuning customer, right. and he's got. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, retarded gearing is that like retarded timing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Are we going to get canceled for me saying that? <laughs> yeah,
5: oh my. I, I got a.
3: I'm offended. I got a tuning, <laughs>
5: <laughs> I got a tuning customer with a X15 efficiency, and it's got 355s, and I'm like, really? The the, the other <laughs> one's got uh three and a quarters, which I think they're manual shift. So that's uh, not horrible, but like. Hey, Brian, I'll you tell know, you
0: how that happens. I, I, the the guy who specs the that? truck for that company decided to get smart. He said, You know, I keep hearing about this gear ratio thing. I wonder if this is really important. He went and Googled, What's the most popular gear ratio in Class A trucks? And he got 355s. <laughs> uh, probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy.
2: Um,
5: it was Oh, I did want to give kind of a like I said. This is this. A lot of this is coming from the Power Hour, so hopefully these guys are listening. Um, the guy with the that needed the twelve thousand dollar chassis harness to fix his headlight. Yeah. Um, uh, the the hard part's over. I mean, the dealer didn't really do him any favors, but at least they did diagnose it. I. I kind of went through this with my T660 glider and yeah they they mount the chassis node on the frame behind the sleeper uh and that's what drives your headlights and I lost a headlight and of course I MacGyvered it with speaker wire off of the other headlight <laughs> why not and then
2: <laughs> and I
5: right right and I I I had it I finally had it looked at a couple times by like you know, my regular independent mechanics that aren't by any means electrical engineers. And they were like, I don't know. I can't find nothing wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Well then I lost the other headlights. So now I'm jumping both headlights off my fog light circuit. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I lost, I uh, it was getting pretty dicey. I was like, "I I need to actually fix this, but I, you know, I was thinking I had a bad chassis note or a CECU and and whatever. But if I don't, that's you know, I don't want anybody guessing or throwing parts at it. And I I got to give a little shout out. This is this is honestly the only time I've ever taken any of my trucks to to a dealer. But um, I took it to Coopersburg henworth and they. Determined that I had broken wires uh, going back to that chassis node and instead of telling me I needed to buy a $12,000 chassis node, they fixed the wires and I'm sure, you know, Pittsburgh Power could do the same for him um, or, you know, make a better dealer. Um, so, so that's that and then I, the only other thing I had was uh, the guy with the that ended up with the 140 weight gear lube. Uh, if he
0: Jesus wants Christ. to kind of, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, what are they, what, what are I, they doing with I, that? I, I, that's, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I, here's an interesting thing about that call. I I said the same thing as soon as I heard that. I'm like 140. Are you kidding me? Where did they even find this stuff? I got an email from somebody that says oh, that's all we ever run in our differentials. Like I've never heard of this. Oh my God. And and, a, and the question was on highway what, application? Wow. Yeah, and the question was what's the problem? And I'm like, What's the problem? That's like trying to turn your gears through tar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no
5: kidding.
3: Uh,
5: well, I, I think the silver lining for that guy if he's listening, uh if he runs that stuff you talk about, Joel from BASF, that's a seventy-five, mm-hmm. eighty-five. Yeah,
1: right. He'll gain a half mile a gallon. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, no. he'll,
5: yeah, he'll. <laughs> yeah, he'll be he'll be better off than he'll, what he would have ended up with in the first place. You there know? you go. Yeah. Good,
0: good point. Wow. Yeah, well, it, it will end up giving. And he's going to think he got another hundred horsepower somewhere.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no go. kidding. Wow!
3: Yeah. The, the, um, the, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you were talking about the electrical earlier—the the wonderful world of multiplexing.
0: Oh where yeah. Where the wires <laughs> yeah, don't necessarily
3: yeah. go from the switch <laughs> to where it goes. Yeah. I, I,
0: yeah. You know, I had enough trouble with the old days of electricity, but now it's just insane. Yeah.
7: Well, yeah.
3: I mean, if you knew what you were doing programming, you could make it that when you put on your turn signal, that it turns the radio on. I mean, it's 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 crazy what they can do now.
0: And sends a text to your wife saying, "I'm turning right now." <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> yeah, no
0: kidding.
5: <laughs> um. Oh, I, on the on the gear and transmission thing, I have a question for you guys. But first, I gotta. I got to give a little shout out to John. He he inspired me with the uh, no oil cooler on his son's race car story. I uh, I had my truck at my mechanic. Uh, he was actually putting a drop visor on. I'm trying to see if I can tank my fuel mileage, you know. And, uh, <laughs> uh, he texted me on a Saturday night. He's like, uh... Your transmission cooler's leaking. It's all rotted out, and the only one I can find now is eight hundred fifty-eight dollars. And I thought, I fairly ever get that gauge to register temperature. Just, just bypass it. What's the worst that could happen? So, uh, that's what I did. So, so what so is far, what
0: is the worst that's the, happened? The
5: worst that happened? So far, the hottest I've been able to get it. Now, mind you, the gauge doesn't even read till 150, and the red line's at 250. I got it up to 175 on a 55-degree day. So even if you adjust that for an ambient temperature of 90, I think I'll be just fine.
0: Sounds like it. So, Yeah, you, you
5: um,
1: may but- also see a slight increase in fuel efficiency because as you keep that transmission lube warmer it you will it will be a little bit more efficient so like on the i shift and it probably the same thing on on the dt12 it's not technically a cooler it is temperature regulated so um there's a the the volvo will actually put heat to it when it needs to in the winter time to bring that that oil up to temperature a little faster so you're probably going to be just fine bypassing that cooler yep
5: yeah, and I, and I was thinking the efficiency, too. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not yep. being cheap. I'm increasing my fuel mileage. Exactly. <laughs> there That's you right. Go. That's right.
0: Well, you know, we, we could look at that Don't system and say. Don't even with thermostats right now. Yeah. yeah, we could look at that system and say, wait a minute. If this, t- if this transmission isn't even getting close to some sort of a temperature that would harm it, it's actually getting close to a temperature that makes it more efficient. Why do we even have it on there? I go back to this whole thing. It's really easy to complicate things. It's a whole lot more complicated to try to simplify things, but that's what we should do more of. Yes.
1: Yeah, what, one of the challenges that you see from a, a OEM point of view is you never know exactly what that truck's going to end up doing. Yeah. And so in a heavier yeah. duty application, it's probably necessary. And right. they just they don't know when they put that transmission well, together. Where is this thing going to go?
0: You know, that, that that's a good point. And if we look at technologies, you know, that we've complained about over the years, waste gated turbos. And I, these are all just compromises. And and this is why I've always, i you know, when you get that pushback from people, oh, that aftermarket stuff's all bullshit. If that worked, the OEM would put it. No, they wouldn't. The OEM is never going to do stuff like that. That's not how this whole system works.
3: No, the OEM uh, no, has got to make it that it works under it, any Exactly
0: condition. right. That, that that truck is comp- – every part on that truck is compromised. I mean, we, we could really sit down and look at almost every system on a truck and make it better. But it's not cost-effective to mass-produce trucks like that. And
1: one of the other things too, when it comes to aftermarket stuff, and and this was kind of shocking to me, being able to work with engineers at a very high level, you know, a lot of times these guys are, and and I'm not really knocking them, it sounds like here, but you know, they sit in their cubicle, they think about one particular thing all day long, and they, they, they don't have any real world experience out there. And so they have a hard time imagining, well, why would that even be useful? You know, I, I bumped up against this initially with, with the crawler gears and the transmission. You know, they just looked at me and like, why would you <laughs> why ever do... use that? They <laughs> they never thought about sliding a tandem or what happens when you really start to aggressively down speed to your reverse speed. And then when you start to bring these up, it, it almost, it bounces off them for the first four or five, six times. You got to repeat yourself and repeat yourself and, Then you start throwing data at them and, and, you know, somebody, somebody gets some interest and then when one of the colleagues say, yeah, this might make some sense, you start to get buy-in, but it's incredibly difficult to bring a new idea into an OEM um, just because Because of that, everybody's compartmentalized these days. Very few engineers have that, that, you know, 30,000 foot overview. They don't understand the entire truck. They understand their system and that's, that's what they're very, very good at their system or subsystem. And when you start to talk, say I go in and talk to an engineer that works on, he's a combustion engineer, um, you know, you start to talk about a crawler gear, or you want to change a rear axle ratio, and he's lost. He has no clue why you'd want to do any of that.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and that being said, Joel, when you're around them, what what amazes me is they will forget more than I'll ever know yet.
1: Yeah, uh, these guys are incredibly smart people. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I mean, they are
3: brilliant. I mean, people start working on this stuff and they say, the stupid engineer. (laughs) I've been around enough
0: of them. (laughs) Well, you're right. (laughs) They are not. They're not stupid. I'm going to tie this into Wednesday again. This is what destroyed our medical system because we have doctors who do nothing but focus on the kidneys. And then another doctor who does nothing but focus on the brain and the heart. And and you can't do that. All of these things work together. You can't separate them and try to optimize one. It just doesn't work that way. Um, the other and thing it doesn't that... doesn't work that with way the with a truck either. Yeah, need to be at you the
3: know, same round table, Kevin.
0: Yeah, the, it, the other thing both of you mentioned was how smart each one of these people are. And you're right. I used to get a ton of pushback when I'd start talking about fuel economy and whether it was aerodynamics. And somebody would say, well, what's your background in aerodynamics? Well, none other than what I've been able to read and gather over the years. So you're right, the guy who's working on aerodynamics knows way more than I do about aerodynamics. And the oil engineer that I just got done talking to knows way more about oil than I do. But you could put all of them together and I can still get better fuel economy than they can. Because I, I don't need yes. to have all of that background in all of these areas. What my background is in, is putting a truck on the road in the real world and getting the best fuel economy you can possibly get. If we're right, it,
1: It's the guy that can take that holistic overview and put all them subsystems together is the guy that's going to have success. And when you have very smart people and all those subsystems, that are they're willing to kind of listen to you because they trust your holistic or overall view, then things start to get really good. It just takes so long to gain these people's trust in order for them Mm -hmm. to, you know, kind of take that leap of faith when you want to try something outside the box. And, um, it's, it's very difficult to get them people cause their whole careers are on the line. Let's yeah, face right, it. They're right. in a corporate structure yeah. and if they have a major screw up oh, and they're at such phew. and such a level and things go bad, yeah. they're out the door right. and they're putting their career at risk So that. That's another complicating factor. So, you know, when people, like you said, when people say all oh, these stupid engineers, they don't know shit, you know, there is a lot involved there. And like Henry said, these guys are just, inc- I-, I love talking to them. Yeah. You just learn yeah. so much when you
8: talk to these oh, guys. My gosh. Um, um, yeah. But
1: it's it's yeah it's very difficult by nature. Engineers are risk averse, right?
8: Exactly. <laughs> you know why right. like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're
1: engineers. The, yeah. So it it does it does get difficult. So um, it, it I think it's whoa, important whoa, whoa, whoa. for the for the OEMs whoa, whoa. to have guys like me and Henry out there, kind of you know, taking that risk as much as we can. And it kind of insulates the engineer. So if there's a failure, they can say, yeah, Yeah. dumbass driver, you know.
3: And I put my my hand up and say, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was was all me. (laughs) It was all me, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. So, um,
3: Joel, the the one thing I have found over the years that the word they're adverse to is, why don't we just try this? (laughs)
5: exactly exactly
3: no 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 there's some studies done before that try right there is no just try well with,
1: with an engineer I mean You you have to sit around and have a meeting about the meeting you're going to have in order to make a decision to see if you're going to have a meeting to try. Uh, Oh,
0: I know. That's just the way it goes. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult to do. We need uh, to have a meeting to form a committee, so the committee can have a meeting to see if we should have a meeting. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. That
3: being said, that being said, with all of them, right? Though, look at what they've done. I mean, I still get. Last year at the Walcott Truck Show, there was an old, old Mac there, like real old Mac, like early 1900s. And on two or three brass tags on the engine, it said, change oil every 500 miles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 75,000 miles now. But, you know, so, you know they've, they've done some things. Well, they <laughs> well had, just, they,
1: in my, just in my time, when when you when you think about what Henry just said, just in my time, I remember when I was young, and this obviously just before I had my license. But you remember this too, Kevin? Rods and mains. Oh yeah, you were doing them I every two hundred thousand miles, right? And it was just normal. It was. It, could you imagine if we had an engine today that required that everybody <laughs> would lose their friggin' mind?
0: Yeah, you know what? But that was just normal back five, then. Yeah, you, four, you know what? Four, surprises. fifty
8: to five hundred. You did it
0: with liners. Yeah, Th- that
8: um, yeah, you right. know
0: that yep. I've gotten used to. It shocks me more than anything is when somebody still thinks they need to replace rods and mains. Like they'll call me yeah, and they oh, "I'm talking about replacing my bearings." And I'll be like, "How many miles around the <laughs> For truck? rods and mains?" S- yeah. Seven hundred thousand, <laughs> and I'm like, "What are you insane?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: The other thing that I just I always get a kick out of is when these people say, "Yeah, I remember back in the day we didn't have all these problems." You're oh, so oh, full of poof. shit. You <laughs> yeah. had yeah. rods, <laughs> mains, heads, liners. Yeah. I, I mean, you were working on them engines constantly, what? and
0: these guys are like, "Back in the old day, yeah, yeah. bullshit." Not even it's just, just the somebody yeah, buying yeah, engines. It. do that crap. Not even just the engines. I used to carry a parts store around with me: <laughs> alternators, U joints, alternators, cells roses right. Yeah. yes, yeah, yep. just, absolutely. Just carry some with you. It's going to break. It always does. I mean, that's the way it used to be. And the other day,
3: here,
0: here, here, here. when it Here's super one cold that out.
3: That I hear, hear all the mm-hmm. time is back in the day, you used to be able to work on them.
5: <laughs> they forget.
3: Yeah. you had to work, you had to. <laughs> had to work right. on them. It right. was
1: <laughs> that was required. Can yeah. you re- you remember when we used to have to build the the cardboard forts around the truck and put a torpedo <laughs> heater underneath it and order oh to start God. them in the cold <laughs> and shit? Yes. You now I can walk out and twenty below zero, hit the Just key, and the damn thing fires, fires right up right and it up. doesn't even blow smoke.
0: Yeah. We, we'd be out there trying to thaw oh, out easy. fuel filters and, you know, buy an ether by the case. And.
9: <laughs> the brakes
0: froze. Yeah. And,
3: and, yeah. and you remind me of one back when I drove for Weaver's Chicken. It was a 3208 cat straight truck. And I started it <laughs> up. Go. And when it was cold, they would smoke so bad, right? Well, it was smoking so bad that the security called the fire department. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I done fire.
1: I done a very similar thing. I we used to run uh, the old two-stroke Detroits. I had an eight seventy-one and an old International day cab, and we had a a uh, a bay that was enclosed, and the door was shut, and I had fired that truck up, and I went up to the break room. I got talking to somebody. <laughs> the truck is in the factory, running, and pretty soon they're evacuating the whole day. I mean, everybody got sick in there oh, from that at that truck
3: running to the second Rick, yeah, that was that was how but you can work on them you that's right yeah you can work yeah, on yeah. them that's, that's right,
0: right. Yep. Yep, you can work on them yeah 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 whatever right. <laughs> what what am one of my one of my uh favorite stories on this kind of stuff i was working with fikes back when fikes was around and they just had a bunch of really old school guys owner operators just i i was down like the first time i was down there at their headquarters and i'm talking to them and this guy walks in the room and he's like a legend at the company. He changed a transmission on the side of the road. <laughs> and, and gotta made, love it. And, and managed to get the old one up into the sleeper to bring it back. I mean, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> gotta love oh, it. Man. Oh, man. Wow. Right. We're, we're going to get to some phone calls before we go off the deep end here. Let's go to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program.
8: Oh, the good old days, gentlemen! That's right. The good old days. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Henry, uh, Henry! Uh, when you get that corn, that corn-driven truck, I'll be your fireman with a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. will <laughs> put I'll a drum. Have we'll put a drum box on the back of it. There you go. <laughs> I-, I was looking to have an auger feeding it, you know. oh there you go an auger there you go
0: hey hey put me out of a job i I was just gonna say that don't don't let these (laughs) damn machines put people out of work let him shovel it
8: (laughs) (laughs) i need to lose a couple pounds anyway (laughs) hey uh i have a question joel with that uh i i kind of tuned in a little later but that um, that breakdown you did on on fuel gauges what, did you uh-huh. account for uh, with the common did you account for classics and aerodynamics or you just I, did engines?
1: I did not account for anything. I it mean that, that's probably some of that also.
8: I would imagine.
1: I, 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 yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's no doubt about it. So I, I would love to get into this and, and drill down a little bit deeper. I, I suppose I'll talk to Kevin a little bit more about it. I, I'd love to unleash my office guy on this because he is just he is just super good at, at statistics and and breaking this stuff down and graphing and charting things and and uh, it would be very useful and very interesting. Um, to really drill down like you're talking about to understand what's going on. One of the quick, simple yeah. ways I think we could do it is just go through and pick out like the top five or six trucks in each one of the categories that I had searched. And you know, that, that would probably be slightly more useful than, than just the general overview that I had put up. I um, but it, it, it really would take a, a full-time guy it would probably take six months to break all that down, you know, um, to really oh, yeah.
8: E- yeah, that's, yeah, that's, e- extrapolate
1: that's, what we, what we want to do. And, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can swing that. Um, you know, it's stuff like that's never cheap. Um, it's very time consuming and getting the right people in place that number one, understand trucking and number two, understand statistics is a hard thing to do. And I'm right. kind of in the unique position where I've got a guy that understands both to a very high degree. So um, maybe we can get something done with it.
8: That's good. Well, since I'm an outlier on the other side of the scale, uh, <laughs> with my with my 30-year, 30 35-year-old uh, classic here, you know, I mean, I just look for better paying freight to offset the fuel economy. Isn't that what we do? <laughs>
4: a lot of people do that. Yeah, a lot of people do that.
8: <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. It, it. The rate is the rate. But anyway, I... I would love it if you make your way down to Houston and you have a little time. I'd love to take a ride in that purple dr- truck and see what a downsped truck does. Because uh, being being a guy that started out in this business driving Rockways B Model Max and White Nine Thousands, I'd love to see what technology is doing today.
1: Well, I can tell you, I'm going to be in uh, TMC. Uh, show at Orlando, and then I'm looks like I'm also going to be at Mid America with Hotshot Secret, where the truck will be in the show. So, if you're going to either one of those shows, um, I'd be glad to, to show you around the truck and and um, you know, possibly if it's if it is possible, get you in the truck and go for a ride. i will
8: be cool, i will be cool. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll see if I can get over to Mid America
3: and driving the
8: newer stuff. I'm
3: going to be there at Mid America as well. And I don't know what trucks we're bringing, but I know that we have two ride and drive trucks where you could actually drive them.
8: Yeah, that said, would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, old school, uh, but I, I do like the new stuff. Um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, with the Volvo platform and everything. You know, if if I needed something to, to to be steady for a driver. I would definitely look at that. Um, I'm really impressed with the numbers you're showing and spec in a truck, right? I mean, I would definitely, you know, hopefully enlist you Joel, uh, with that, you know, for the application I would buy it for, but, um, it's, it's real impressive. All the stuff that you post Joel and, I, I've seen some of the stuff that Henry has done, you know, with the with the uh, with the freightliner platform. I, for myself though, I just can't get past the looks, and that's just a personal thing. Sorry, guys. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, gotcha. That's, that's no, right. I, I understand this,
3: that. this, this is
4: know, Henry
3: I, on I, that. The racer, and yeah, I, I used to be a racer, and I still remember when the T six hundred Kenworth came out, and I was thrilled to death. But that was the racer in me because, yeah, to me with all the battles we have to fight, I didn't want to pick a fight with air.
8: I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up looking at yeah you know, the the three fifty nine and the and the uh, the A model Kenworth, you know, back in the seventies and eighties. So those are the trucks that a young man of my stature wanted to to own and drive. I, I was
3: a B model Mac guy and a long nose oh. 9500 GMC guy. Okay, they, well, were, I, fair, fair, they were fairly aero in their day.
8: You are correct. My father's favorite truck was a white 3000 if anyone knows what that is.
3: Well, we had a we had a
1: white, white 5000 for several years, believe okay. it or not, and I was yeah. actually that And I, I learned on that, and then an old International Transstar, they were both kind of yard trucks. And so when you were 13 or 14, you got to go out and move trailers around the yard. you go jump in the old White or the old International and pedal them around the yard. So, yeah, pretty
8: cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah I cut my teeth in the New Jersey piers with trucks like that because, you know, no yeah. one cared how how you looked and how old you were <laughs> driving around those piers. Yep, gotcha. <laughs> 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 pretty well, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, what was I was going to say, um, you're right. You know, Henry, the older trucks did have a lot of aerodynamics in them, a lot of roundness and stuff like that, which was really cool.
3: Well, that, that when they first came out with the Cascadia, I used to get at the shows a lot of pushback from people about how they're too old school for that. And when I looked at that truck, if you looked at the trucks from the 40s, the way the fenders swept back into the doors, the way everything was rounded, it, to me, it was the oldest style truck on the road. You but, know, I, you know, it was Art Deco I, Streamline I, styling, just not 1970.
0: I, I think we could probably make the argument that we could go back about 70 years and those trailers might still be more aerodynamic than ours are today.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I agree with that. that.
0: You know, they because we, <laughs> no, we you know, we, I we squared off everything to to maximize cube, and they didn't do that before. They had those big rounded front, you know, edges, and I, I have a feeling those trailers were actually more aerodynamic than what we are today.
3: Uh, I would be willing to bet you're right on that, Kevin. As a matter of fact, I keep trying to find somebody to fabricate me a nose that's like the old-style trailers as a nose cone to put on the front of my trailer.
0: Did You know, are, do we run into regulations? Do they now call that length?
3: No. No. As long as no, you're, not you're not
0: putting a, you're a, cargo a, in it.
3: Okay. Nope, you're allowed five foot to the front and five foot to the rear as long as it's aerodynamic safety or anti-spray. Got it.
8: You know, as far as comfort goes, I, I did... I did have, uh, I did drive a Cascadia for a couple months, a few years back. I was uh, actually, when I was swapping the engine in this thing, uh, trying to make that computer engine talk to this non-computer truck, um, the carrier I was leased to was just super busy and they gave me one of their trucks, which was a Freightliner DD-15. I'll tell you, it was like driving a camper. It really was comfortable. And room. I could do jumping jacks in the truck, of course, but... Um, when I got out of it and walked back, it just—I got lost because every truck looked like that one. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> 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 uh, but anyway, I yeah, that uh, just keep uh, keep posting that stuff, Joel. I really love that stuff, and uh, it's always good to talk to guys that know what it used to be and what it is now. And I love some of these guys that would. I would love one of these guys just to take a ride in one of those old trucks and see what people really did oh. back then <laughs> oh, and and, and driving a new truck and say there was no good. The, the only good about the good old days were some of the people that you ran into.
1: Yeah, there, there, that was a little, that definitely was a little bit different because let's face it, you had to stop at every truck stop if you wanted to make a phone call or anything. And so you had more drivers together more often. And so there was a lot more personal interaction. There's no question about that, but you know, it's kind of funny when you talk about put drivers in one of the old trucks and then put them in a new one, that cab over international that I drove, it was a day cab. Um, the entire interior was metal. It was just metal, <laughs> right? And right. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, literally, my knees would be bruised. I literally bought a couple of freaking knee pads to wear in that truck. You know, because I was six three, and my knees. Every bump you would hit, they would hit the dash. My oh, knees would hit man. the dash, and literally, I'd, I'd have constantly had bruised up knees, and I they, literally bought knee pads Joel, to drive the damn truck up and down
0: the Joel, road. Joel, come on. Uh, oh. Come on. I, I had an Astro. <laughs> yeah, <you> know, <laughs> come on. Just about this
4: bad. Yeah, I know. Just, oh, well, Yeah.
8: Well, an- another thing. So. Were another
4: pretty,
3: thing Astros we could, were pretty modern, Kevin. So it, I was in a seven. My first tractor was a 75 Dodge Tracker Box.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember that thing. Oh, yeah. That, that thing, uh, yeah. that thing looked like it was built in somebody's backyard. For <laughs> 33 years, buddy, and you needed them. Yeah, you did. You
8: know, uh, these, these trucks that we're talking about, the only good – and another good thing about that is – We all had young backs to handle the suspension and the ride yeah. What suspension?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. What suspension?
10: I I always joke around. (laughs) I always
3: (laughs) joked around. I drove a walking beam and a Brigadier. And when I used to come home with yeah. see down eleven fifteen in Pennsylvania, I used to joke around that I had air ride because when you looked in the mirrors, the tires weren't on the ground half. Hey, that, you just
0: you just reminded me of something. We were talking about the the trucks with all the rounded fenders and all that, and this would have still been in late 80s, early 90s, there was another model of GMC. So I did have a, an Astro, but I also had a little short-nosed day cab thing that I i don't remember. Brigadier. What, was that a Brigadier, Brigadier, and it had all the rounded Brigadier. fender? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had one of those. Yep. I had yeah. one of those. If you yeah. want to look Get
3: something up. up, look up the Preston Aerodynamic Brigadier. Google that up. They, they they went to extreme aerodynamics on that. That looks like it could run with anything we had today other than your head bouncing off the
0: field. <laughs> yeah. <But> they they
3: <laughs> really did an aero
0: version of that. Yeah.
8: With Preston yeah, Motorola that's I, I Amazing.
0: I forgot all about that. Track.
8: I was gonna interject I was gonna interject with Henry's air ride. My air ride being in New York City was the Space
0: between my ass and the seat. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, my first truck. Yeah, but, my, uh, I, my first truck didn't even have an air ride seat. Oh, I
8: it I've had, driven them like that too.
0: Yeah, it had one of this. It had like springs, and it was just a bizarre seat. But it was not air ride, and that was in a like a seventy three white something. I don't even remember what it was. Yeah, white
1: was famous for that they'd put those heavy duty coil springs yeah. in the seat cushion yeah, I know. And, and they would eventually work their way through
2: <laughs> yes they would <laughs> yeah, yeah. they
1: were they were horrible <laughs> trust me so, that's why i think everybody used to put those wood bead things over their seats right those damn springs would come up through the <laughs>
8: <That's
1: right. laughs> yeah they, no, they yeah, were you horrible to, you
8: had to get those those beaded cushions to put on the seats yeah. tie them down yeah, yes that's
2: yes, right yes yeah yep uh, I
8: remember I was I was 15 years old I took a white 9000 with a load of TVs up to Boston I was a road man oh my god
0: wow. I, that was something the, the, the <laughs> truck that got me was the uh, wasn't the Ford over also a 9000 wasn't that the
1: yeah CL 9000 the two yeah, stories yeah, CL Ford, uh, yeah I was yeah. just gonna say you got that a nosebleed that, uh, trying
0: to get up into that thing it was so high you could just you could just kind of step you to out take your window. Dramamine and yeah, I know, drive you, that. You could yes. kind of crawl out your window right onto the top of the trailer, though, if you needed to.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, you, remember, you, you remember the old uh? You remember the old uh four bag air ride cab overs, which they rode good, is after you learned that they only leaned so far.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's exactly right. You, you literally you had to take Dramamine, or you're going to get seasick yeah, driving those damn things. They were just constantly rolling back and forth yeah. and back and forth. Uh, yeah, yeah, just crazy. I, I, <laughs> right. I
3: remember like, getting on the ramp on two twenty two off a of thirty in Lancaster. You could see down the blind side of your trail. if <laughs> the <there's a> cabling <laughs> <leaner>. <laughs>
0: all right i had to cut i had to cut fred loose or we're never going to move along here we're going to go to iowa don welcome to the program
2: hi
4: kevin hi joel hey henry hey i'm gonna i'm gonna ask like a 30 second question but it's probably going to take about four hours to answer (laughs) okay (laughs) i've got time trailer trailer aerodynamics is is that uh, more how do i want to say it uh, um do you get more out of your fuel mileage aerodynamic wise on a aerodynamic trailer compared to the truck or how much does a does an aerodynamic trailer add to your fuel economy or
0: fuel so what? the but the one it, number it
3: depends how much aerodynamics you got.
0: Yeah, there's so many variables here. The more aerodynamic the tractor is, the more difference the trailer itself can make as well. Take an ugly tractor and it disturbs the air so much that the trailer isn't going to have much of an effect because you've already screwed up the airflow so bad. So, what we learned was the more important, the more we focused on the tractor itself, the more important the trailer started to become. So, there, there are a lot of variables. The one number I remember that shocked me um, was Messiah Valley reported that from their worst trailer, just buy it right off the factory of no aerodynamic treatments at all, to their best, that they did everything to 1.2 miles to the gallon. That's a lot. That,
1: that is correct. That is correct. I you know, I get the opportunity, especially when I work for my brother. He does he's got a lot of trailers, a lot of drop and switch, so I can have no arrow, partial arrow, or what I call full arrow. And typically what we see on that full arrow with a lift axle versus no arrow and no lift axle, I see one point five.
5: Wow. And then yeah. if I
1: just go to what I call kind of moderate arrow and that's basically just the the fairing with the new little wing things that they put on the back, those itty bitty little wings on the back. I see typically a half mile a gallon improvement over no arrow. And that's been very consistent for Jesus. Since, really yeah. since I started I'll paying bet. a lot of attention yeah. to it probably for five years, but 1.5 is okay. that lift axle, okay. that happens every single time I try that i very very rarely see any any less than than one and a half so that's that's what, spot on the sea of valley's got it spot on too
3: what what's funny we did a non aerodynamic non s a e test here one day in Laredo with a customer and they wanted to they wanted to see how much difference their plane gene trailers were to mine that's nose coned full skirted, every trailer tailed, everything done right. And it was empty trailer against empty trailer. And it was only a 30 mile run and empty in both cases. So arrow was everything. There was no load in the trailer. And we were a little over two mile to the gallon. Wow. But, yeah.
5: Yeah. I, I, I like,
3: believe it,
8: that, but
3: that was, but it was unscientific, but the arrow was everything on that run, you know, because there was no load in either trailer.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, yeah and the one. other thing is, okay. is, is air temperature. Um, while you will see improvements, uh, with arrow across the temperature spectrum, it really gets important in the cold because air gets more yeah. dense and, uh, it really plays a factor in the wintertime. And this is one of the things that I'm also dealing with when I've got people that I help spec trucks, they may not have arrow on the trailer. And, you know, when it's warm out, they do, they still do pretty good, even at, even at higher speeds. And then the temperature gets cold and things all fall apart. And they're, you know, they're, they're like, what, I have to run my overhead. Do I have to have the engine too? No, you just need some (laughs) arrow and wait for the weather to warm up a little bit, you know? know,
3: That that brings up a subject, Joel, that we could probably spend another four hours on. How much blame winter fuel gets? I've ran winter (laughs) fuel down south where it's warm. It doesn't make that much difference. It it, it doesn't. It's the the cold, cold, dense air.
1: In fact, here's something that I noticed on that real quick. So one thing that we do, uh, my brother watches the forecast. He's got like a 20,000-gallon tank in the yard, and he has the fuel cut with kerosene when we know that we're going to get a cold spell. And in the past, before Emission Trucks, kerosene um while it doesn't have the btus it does burn cleaner and what we have learned now with the newest emission trucks when we do cut with kerosene you have less regens going on because it burns cleaner and it almost completely offsets the fuel efficiency loss wow because it, it does burn a little cleaner in the in the newer trucks yeah so that I, I, it may not completely be gone that delta, but it is really shrunk because of the the cleaner burning kerosene. The truck doesn't have as much power because you know the the Less density Less BTUs, is there, yeah. But, uh, it's just, yeah. It's just yeah, just just kind of interesting. Yeah, it is.
3: Yeah, the 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 yeah. fuel gets way more blame than it should. It's it's like right what I'm saying the it, cold it's, cold air is the big enemy.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's air density. That's right.
3: Which is funny. Okay, because the so that, likes the cold air.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Don, go ahead. With true. with the three of us here, you just got to jump in and start yelling. It's the only way to get in.
1: Yeah, pretend like I'm at home, right? So that's but, right. There, there, you go.
4: So that would make the numbers that Kim and Al Hemerson have when they're pulling an aerodynamic, no aerodynamic trailer. A trailer just got a side skirt, not one on the other side, and one that's got an under tray, and this and that. Another two and a half miles a gallon, Joel. Now they're looking at, now they're only three gallon, three miles a gallon off of what you.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: well, Kim and Al, I, yeah, I love them to death. Al, Al is, he has an old school streak in him. He loves his deer guard. Absolutely loves that thing, our moose guard. And I get it. I completely get it. And he and loves how that eight. looks. And, and he, he's he got a long wheelbase on that thing. And those, those two things all by themselves. And look, he's still averaging over eight. Yeah. In in the winter time here, last time I looked at his, his fuel gauges, he's still over eight, which is incredibly good for having that big honk and deer guard hanging out there and that great big gap between the truck and the trailer. But you're right, if if he would have shrunk the wheelbase up a little bit, gone to the six by two instead of the six by four, he, you know, took the deer guard Joel. off,
0: um, significant sure. gains
1: mm-hmm. in fuel efficiency to be had there.
0: Joel, weren't you saying something earlier yeah. about yeah, details? He, <laughs> Details matter. De- yeah, the, the devil's into details. <laughs> the yeah, details that's exactly matter. right.
1: But that being said, they're still doing very
2: well. Exactly. I, I, right.
1: Look, Al wants Al wants to be the best at everything he does, and I can sense he gets a little frustrated when he looks at those numbers. He shouldn't be, because when you look at the spec of the truck, his numbers are incredible, incredibly good for for that long wheelbase and what he's got hanging on the front of that truck. I mean, they're they are. They're yeah. just good. Uh, and uh and, so and that deer guard nothing. that he's got on the front of his go ahead yeah, yeah he's got nothing to hang his head about that's for sure
4: yeah and with that deer guard on the front of his truck hell it wasn't what 10,000 miles into his brand new truck he schmucked that deer hell you're looking yeah. at 15,000 dollars yes. and and they didn't even have any parts back then to fix it so look you know that yes. saves him quite a yes. bit there
1: yes 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 so it's not it's not just fuel efficiency. There are other considerations like that, although fuel efficiency is probably your number one consideration. I get why he done what he done. I completely understand why he put that on there. He was running a lane that they saw a lot of animal strikes. I get it. Hey, I just that had an idea. good for fuel
0: efficiency, no. <laughs> I just had an idea. So instead of these big, ugly... Bumper guards, moose bumpers that kill our aerodynamics. What if we took just, I'm thinking maybe three, like big spears and put them on the front of the truck? They shouldn't mess with aerodynamics too much. And when you hit the deer, you you just take him with you. And, and then you, you <laughs> take him home and you've got, you know, you've got a freezer full of deer now, too.
1: There you go. There you go. I like it. Big old spear on the front <laughs> of the truck. That's
8: right. There you go. <laughs> yep. But, um, now, Al had him. an idea.
0: Him and I were, go ahead. Mm-hmm.
3: Peter's going to love Kevin on that one.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, come on. We, you know, we don't need road crews to go out and pick up the roadkill anymore. We just take it home with us.
4: Right, right. Now, Al's got an idea. I don't know, Henry, you may have already thought of it and already got it done of co- somehow trying to cover up frame rail or not frame rails, cross members underneath the trailer. Is that is that something
2: that
4: is that minor details that that are that you need to do or is that something that there's a lot of drag underneath the side of that trailer that needs to get covered up?
0: Steve has yeah, done a lot of work around that.
3: So, I mean, it works. There's no question about it. But if you have side skirts on and you got them flush mounted and you go all the way up over the landing gear, you have so little air up near the cross members at that point that I don't think it would be big anymore. If you had no side skirts, it would be huge. But to me, side skirts lower the airspeed down off of the cross members, and to me, that's even bigger than the air that they deflect off of the tandems. Okay.
0: The other. Okay, now we, the side skirts
4: we, compared to like the under tray system that supposedly shoves everything underneath the axles. How how's that work?
3: I was never a fan of that particular setup. I'm skirted from the landing gear all the way to my ICC bumper. So I never really have the air situation hitting my tandems to begin with. So I've lowered the air speed under there significantly. Okay.
4: Okay. Now what about getting an axle off the ground on a trailer? I've got a spread and I've got Joel, you, you've looked at my truck and, and uh, mm-hmm. that we've got coming it's very similar to yours is am I going to be is that spread killing me?
2: Yes. <laughs> well
1: yes 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 and no um, one thing if, the if, if you're running a
10: straight, he's good
1: right the more you turn the bigger the impact the spread has obviously the other part on a 6x2 if you're running a 6x2 here's where a spread can become challenging so I always try to like to put the advantage of a six by two in mathematical terms in terms of traction. And in in order to achieve maximum traction, fuel efficiency, tire wear handling, we like to try to get 25% of your gross combination vehicle weight on that drive axle. If you can hit that number, your tractive potential is better than a six by four in on highway applications. And your ride gets really good. Everything gets really good when we hit that 25% of gross. When you have a spread on a trailer, as you get heavier, it's very difficult to make 25% of gross on the drive axle unless you can lift that that tandem uh, that that lead off the ground. So um, if you can lift the lead uh, and it's only down when absolutely necessary, you're uh, it's not going to kill you unless you're in an application where you are turning constantly, and then it, then it's going to hurt.
3: Mm-hmm. So, okay. Uh, going back to the spread, something that never made sense to me, and I used to haul a lot of wallboard when I was in flatbed, and. Why the eight-foot spread isn't more popular than it is. That gets you to 38,000. If you're at 38,000 and you can't make the rest of it work out, there's some bigger problems going on. And the axles are two-foot closer together, and the closer they are together, the less drag there is on them when you're going down the road because you're seldom driving perfectly straight. What do you think about that, Joel, that the eight-foot spread really doesn't get that much play? And you would think it would.
1: I personally like the, the split tandem where you can spread it when needed and spread it to the distance you need, and then you can close them up if you don't need the spread. That's my personal favorite way to do that. You know, I, For for a lot of the stuff that I do on my back hauls where I could potentially be tail heavy, there are times when I could really use the spread. Um, so, yeah, having a split tandem where I could spread them axles individually to whatever we want instead of having them fixed. Is probably ideal as long as you're, you know, able to do the math and figure out where you need the axles and stuff. It would never be popular in a mass-produced configuration because, you know, most guys wouldn't know when or how to use it. But uh, well, you know, if you have that knowledge, it would be just an awesome setup to have to uh, be able to individually I, I, spread the trailer.
3: I had looked at that heavy with Mike Beckett, and what he didn't mm-hmm. like about the was it's impossible to ever have both axles lined up perfectly correct with each other because you're
4: probably I'm
3: play you, and,
1: yes yes you're probably right there's there's no doubt about that you're gonna uh,
3: just, you're just gonna suffer that way for, just as a food for thought when I was flatbed I went from having spread axles to air ride sliders and mm-hmm. the difference in operating cost from my slider to my Bread made it that my trailer was free every five years.
1: There you go. I, I, don't, and I and don't. I don't like doubt it. that. Yeah.
3: And I liked yeah. having a free trailer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No doubt. yeah. Yeah. Free. Free.
4: Anything. Well, I shouldn't say free anything. I. Yeah. But. But this, okay. But last Fred's last comment was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my last comment was: I've got a nineteen glider from Harrison and I took it in here, I don't know, three weeks ago and got gear lube, or priced to get gear lube, and they wanted to replace what was in here and that was the 140 weight. It was 75, 140. So that's that's what came standard in all of these. So it, it's more common than you realize that a lot, there's a hell of a lot of trucks running around here with 140 weight gear oil Why? in there
0: why who decided to do this straightliner evidently what a wow. ridiculous idea I mean th- this isn't like how long have we been using 90 weight as long as I've been in the industry I think why why do we think we need to change something now to heavier when the whole trend is I, always I mean, been got, moving to lighter weight oils I, I have got
1: trucks test trucks that are running, 70W80, and they're talking about offering extended warranties because it yeah. works so much better because it fl- actually flows in the It, it into flows coal. better, right. I, I, yeah, it's yeah. amazing that uh, 175, 140, Jesus. Uh, I, I, I couldn't yeah. even imagine that. I can't that. either.
8: <laughs> well, yeah. uh, back, back so where, where, axles, would your, where would
1: I get your
3: back, what's that? back to the spread axle? Back to the spread axles, to me, one of the other things, especially in flatbed, that made them particularly okay. bad was the way they mount their mud flaps. They make them that they're like four parachutes. They're mounted all the way up against the frame. <laughs> they got two on the lead axle. They got two on the rear axle. And if you don't watch it, they put an extra two sets in the middle so that, you know, if any air did try to flow through, it's not going to.
0: Hey, Henry, and we're they're basically pulling. We're, we're saving parachute. your brakes. We're helping you save brakes.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. <yeah.
0: laughs>
2: all right.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. First more turbulence down
4: there it keeps the it keeps the heat off your brake. <laughs> right. There there you go.
1: The best place to get that oil for your axles, um, call Jim Fowler at Michigan MD Align that he has the stuff in stock.
0: Excellent. Yeah, he does. Good. Good. Shout out to Jim. Let's uh, let's go to Texas this time. Shane, welcome to the program.
11: Good morning, fellas. How are y'all
0: doing? Good. What's on your mind today?
11: good doing great well i got a, a couple things So uh, listening to y'all's intro when you're brought joel in and talking about the specs of the cummins and the trucks i'm not gonna lie or try to fudge nobody ignorant and kind of left it in the hands of the dealer the salesman when it comes to spec in my trucks 389 21 model Told him what I wanted. I said, I'm going to leave the gearing to you. This is what I want to do. I'm running 75, and this is what I'm pulling. And I ended up with that non-efficient gear ratio. Was it 355, I think? Um, Oh,
0: boy. So So the bizarre thing... so the bizarre thing here, Shane, don't beat yourself up. This is the way ninety-nine percent of people buy trucks. The weird thing here is you—you you gave him a pretty high speed, and—and and if he knew anything about specking, even if he didn't understand specking for efficiency, you would have thought that this would have at least pushed him towards a slightly higher gear ratio than well, three fifty-five.
1: Here's the thing with with Cummins. So they have their efficiency and they have their performance models that have drastically different power curves. And when somebody comes in and says, okay, I want a whatever their 565, 2050, or 600, 2050, they want the big horsepower in the performance Mm -hmm. series. In order to get that, you got to run out at higher RPM to get to that horsepower. So no dealer in the world is going to spec you a high horsepower performance commons and put a downsped ratio in it because you'll never ever get to the horsepower then. Never. Yeah, it's so and completely to, uh, useless.
3: And on top yeah. of that, they're going to go buy the book.
11: Right. Yes. Yes. Well here's a yes. here's another crazy part to this whole um adventure that we had buying this truck. I I wanted a a, a five hundred horsepower. That's really all I needed. And he calls me back, you know, after we submitted everything, he's, he um, you sure you want a 500? And I'm like, well, I don't need anything more. Why? What's up? And he says, well, it's going to cost you about three grand more. If you go to 525, it's going to save you three grand. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he says, yeah. And it's going to be longer for them to build the truck. And I said, well, Okay then, you know, let's go to 525. It's going to save me money. You yeah. know. Okay. Um, sounds like a dealer that had something already in the pipeline
1: and and uh it, but maybe not, I don't know. It
11: may have been. And I'm not faulting yeah, I'm not faulting the sales guy because, you know, he's been doing it for so long, I think that he just specs trucks for generalization yeah. and he right, he doesn't know or Is ignorant to the whole trend of fuel mileage and getting an optimal setup to do so.
3: So here's one of the fallacies.
11: The
0: only one? No, he's not the only one.
3: this is one of the fallacies that 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 I hear all the time. They they say I'm getting the highest horsepower spec one, so it doesn't have to work as hard. That is one of the biggest (laughs) fallacies (laughs) out there. (laughs) It has the ability to work harder.
1: Well, by definition, it's It's kind of stupid because horsepower is the rate at which work is done. The higher the number,
3: the harder it works.
0: Right.
5: (laughs) Exactly. Think about that. Think about that.
0: (laughs) Well, but then they throw in the next sentence, which is, you know, if if um, if so, if we look at what they're actually producing going down the road. It's significantly less than what they're capable of most of the time, and if they're only producing 300 and some horsepower, wouldn't it be logical that if we only had 300 and some horsepower, it would be just as efficient? That's what we're using. Yes.
3: In in the Detroit, one of the ones that took a big hit all the time, and I absolutely loved the engine. Was the 41750, and they were like. It only has 400. And, and I'm like, I made it over these mountains with a 260. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 well, and, it, and Well, it's, it's not,
1: it, it's not even, it's not even really that when you look at that, it's so misleading to a lot of people. So, um, Navistar's coming out with a 400, 1850 Detroit's got a 400, I think 1850 right now. And the important do. part to understand is that is a down sped engine. So all that horsepower and torque is made at very low RPM. Where you take the 565 Cummins that has more horsepower and torque, and if you geared that truck downsped, that 41750 or 1850 is most likely going to outperform that 565 because you're never turning enough RPMs to get to the horsepower and torque then. So it makes perfect sense. To run, and, and listen, I, Kevin, I, I've heard you and Bruce talk about this. Why would anybody do that? This is exactly why, when you start to downspeed an engine, the whole concept is to run lower RPM. Performance engines typically make horsepower and torque at higher right. RPM. Can you run it at lower RPM? You absolutely can, but the performance is going to be horrible because quite often that four hundred eighteen fifty at say eleven hundred RPM or a thousand, wherever you're running it down there, is actually going to have more horsepower and yeah. torque where you're using the engine, where it's important.
0: Yeah. No, I, I get it, it makes well, yeah, sense. Kind of like trying to Trying to race a two-stroke motorcycle okay. like a
3: four-stroke—it's
0: not going to work. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Right.
11: Well, I, I've I've been goofing around with with this one. I have one hundred forty thousand miles on it, and at sixty-eight miles an hour, I turn fourteen thirty RPMs. Sixty-five, I turn thirteen sixty, and at seventy-five,
0: I turn fifteen seventy. Well, wait, wait. So right now on mine. Didn't you expect this I thing might, to run 70-something?
11: 70 75 is what I expected to run, and, what? and, and or what I told him I wanted to run.
0: What's your RPM at a, so, 75? And the 70 RPMs. 75, I'm
11: sorry, 1570. Okay, Sheesh. So 1570, I
1: think that thing makes peak horsepower right around that number. So technically, that guy is spot on. You are making peak horsepower Right at about where that thing's cruising, so you've got all five hundred and something horsepower. Now, right. here's what you got to ask yourself: how how much horsepower does it take to move eighty thousand pounds down the road at at seventy five mile an hour? It does not require five hundred and sixty five horsepower.
0: Not even especially close. Especially if you got exactly. marrow. right? You know,
1: it's 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 closer to between two fifty and three hundred, depending on the setup. So, right there is. Going to be a major problem with fuel efficiency. Now, on my truck, the way that I was spec'd when I was running the 205, 80 mile an hour was 1100 RPM in overdrive. Wow. At um, which gave me the the right. It, it matched my horsepower uh, output to the demand of the duty cycle. And of course, when you're going up a hill, where the the extra horsepower becomes important. I can make downshifts and still stay at that high speed. I'm bringing the RPM up. So I can bring my RPM up to my engine makes peak horsepower at 1260. So I'm able to cruise at very low RPM on the flat. The second I run into a hill, I can drop a gear proactively. I don't have to wait for anything to slow down. I'm still at the same speed. Oftentimes, I'll drop that gear just before I'm on grade, I'll bring it up to peak horsepower, get up and over the hill, and then I'm right back into overdrive and lay the horsepower down so, you know, demand and output are very close to being the same. That way, when you turn the cruise control on, it's not spiking shit all over the board and just drinking diesel fuel, you can only make so much horsepower when your RPM's that low, so... He spec the truck in a very traditional way, and he absolutely right. is getting you peak horsepower at 75 mile an hour. That's not what you wanted, but that's what you asked for. And he done right. what, what you asked for.
11: So,
4: and
1: you're exactly it, it, right. And,
11: it, yes. Yes. And and the fuel mileage at 75 runs about 5.3. <laughs> yeah, I can fuel imagine. Right. Eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, and at 68. I'm running about five eight five nine, and it's sixty five. I just did it for Florida back to Texas. I'm looking at six three. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. and
1: and, and that is what that is what I would expect. Right. Um, for that that type of spec, yes. Right. Now so, that being said, this but, gives Cummins an an awful name because they do have an efficiency series engine that does produce the horsepower at lower rpms not as low as a volvo not quite as low as detroit i don't think but it is much lower and it, it it is more up to modern standards as far as
11: down speeding goes gotcha and i almost went with the efficiency series but i had read several different places that those efficiency series were coming apart and it scared me, and I'm like, "Yeah, I don't want really to mess with that. <laughs>
1: I don't need yeah, that." Uh, yeah, that that I that I can't talk to. I don't have enough familiarity with their durability, but I, I do right. know that their their torque and power curves are more up to date on those engines.
11: Right. Yes. So, you know, it was a, it was a a hard decision between the Volvo and this and this 389. And we went with the 389 because I drew this truck in fourth grade. <laughs>
0: so, no i no, get it there you go i,
11: I like hey, that listen, reason. a lot a, a yeah.
1: lot of a lot of guys have that emotional attachment to things they don't see it as a tool there is an emotional attachment and i completely understand hey. it. i get it
0: hey shane You're right shane and we yes sir. I, i'm just moving that to the top of my list the best reason i have ever heard <laughs> to buy a truck like that is because you drew it in the fourth grade i love that Yes, sir. And I
11: still have the picture. Once that's I get right. back on, on the tribe, <laughs> I love that. I, I'm gonna post that picture. There you go. Because when I show my there. wife, she goes, "That's so, it. That's we're getting that truck." That's, I get that Volvo? is the best <laughs> reason I have ever heard. <laughs> so, we we like the Volvo, and and I want to get.
0: Uh oh, Shane just disappeared. Uh-oh. Just like that. Holy cow! All right, well, we'll move on to Pennsylvania. Gene, welcome. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen.
9: To uh, continue our discussion on horsepower, I, uh, I have my, my new 23 Volvo down at the, getting its first service done. I just turned 15,000 mile on it. And I was discussing with a shop about the availability. It's, it's 455 horsepower right now. Would I be... Advantage to
0: turn it up to the
5: 505
0: or not? Anybody? Hello? Did we? Hello? Hello? Joel? Joel? Henry? I am back. I am just back right now. Not sure what happened. Gene, say that again. We had all kinds of weird things happening right then.
9: Okay, hey, um, Joel, Gene, I talked to you before about my 23 Volvo.
2: Mm-hmm.
9: I'm look, looking. Would there be an advantage to turn it from the 455 horsepower it is now up to the 505 horsepower?
1: There, it's yours, a TC or is it a VGT?
0: Hello. What is Gene? Yeah. Hello. Can Can you hear Joel? Yes, yeah, sir.
9: I heard Joel, and then I don't okay.
1: think you he heard me. No, uh, you asked if you could go from 455 to 500, correct? Yes, sir. And is yours a VGT or a TC? It's a TC. There is no 500 on the TC yet, so you're you're done at 455. No, typically with if you're geared like an iTorque spec with a 216, there is no advantage. The front side of the torque curve looks exactly the same um, between a 500 and a 455 in the Volvo engine. It's just simply running at higher RPM. Um, you know, I, I, I would imagine if Volvo were to ever come out with a 500 horsepower version of the TC that you would see a higher torque rating at 900 RPM in order to leverage that horsepower benefit. But like on, on their VGTs, If you look at a 455 VGT and a 500 VGT, the front side of the torque and horsepower curve is exactly the same. You just get a little more horsepower out over 1260 RPM. So in a downsped application, um, unless you're doing some occasional heavy haul stuff and you're going to run a little deeper in the gearbox at
9: elevated RPM, there's
1: no advantage to it.
9: Okay, that's whenever I was uh, driving home yesterday. I thought if I had a little bit more umph to get me up over the hill, it would help. if well, it's not how, available. How, no, no. You, listen, here's here's
1: the thing. <laughs> no, um, you, you you can with with the way I torque is set up, um, you can even run an underdrive uh, in this truck and still do very well when you're pulling the hills, and that's kind of the whole idea. So at 60 mile an hour, if you have the 2.16 gear ratio, underdrive is available at a very reasonable RPM. Because when you're when you're pulling and power demand is high, RPM is not the killer that it is when when you know power demand is not high. So. You're right around 1400 RPM uh, in underdrive, and so you're mechanically multiplying the torque. You're not adding any horsepower, but you're multiplying torque, and it makes for a very nice ride, you know, from between 50 and 60 mile an hour when you're pulling a hill that you know is is drawing you back some. So, um, if you have the ability to manually bump it, uh, don't be afraid to to use that underdrive gear, and I think I think you'll be pretty happy with it.
9: Okay. The um, I I did <clears throat> just this last week. I've been running in. the. I, I haven't gone below nine mile a gallon on this truck yet on Phillips. Okay. But on my current one, I, I wasn't in a hurry, and I'm trying to get myself not to be in a hurry. But I went uh-huh. uh, from Jeffersonville, Ohio, down to Louisville back up to Columbus, ran over. I ended up in Harrisburg, so I came back to western Pennsylvania. And uh, I slept down to, I was between 58 and 62 on average, yes. where I was sent to Bruce. Yes. Yes. So I lowered myself down about 2 to 3 mile an hour. My uh, my tank average right now is at 10.6. So awesome. just coming, dropping uh, that couple of mile an hour, I have went from mid nines into
8: the mid
1: tens yeah i'll tell you this engine loves direct drive right around 55 mile an hour at 990 rpm it is just absolutely insane and even with 80,000 pounds at 990 rpm going to, it is insane the fuel efficiency that that thing will put up so what what you're talking about I done the exact same thing coming down here to Missouri and I came through that rain and wind and stuff and I, I, I truck done 10.8 coming through that shit and I was just absolutely amazed at it you know, I had strong enough wind. where even empty in the past. You know, you were looking at a seven and a half mile a gallon day, and uh, it's yeah, it's very very good. So once you start to get the feel for all the little tricks on this thing that can be done, that ten and eleven comes pretty damn easy.
9: Well, that's what I spoke to you was that last Saturday or maybe 34 before when I was going down through Missouri. I was down to, mm-hmm. down to Laredo. Yes, and it wouldn't come back. Now, eleventh year is direct drive on that, correct?
1: well it depends how your display is showing so you've got a 13 speed in yours right yeah. and it only it yeah. displays
9: the crawler gear and then it goes okay up to 12.
1: So th- all right that's what i needed to know because the new ones, so they're going to show 13th and then not show it as crawler but just show it as first so yes your your 11th is direct and then don't like i said don't be afraid of that 10th gear um as long as you're sixty mile an hour or less, use that torque multiplication to your favor when you're in the hills and you, you will be shocked at how that truck feels when you're when you're pulling and it starts to snort a little bit in tenth gear. It uh it gets right with the program.
9: That's I ended up going down the Laredo back up to Effingham and I came in at an average of nine point four two. And uh I I seventy four down and like fifty two coming back, gross. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Now, my what,
1: what do you what do you have for trailer arrow on yours? Are your trailers arrowed up or no
9: or? It, it is, but it ain't. It's a it's a lift gate trailer. Um, oh. Oh. Have, yeah. 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 Gotcha. It has the nose cone up on the front. It has the big bubble the bubble nose cone yeah. on. It. It's the way I bought it. And as you were oh. talking earlier about taking that wind off of the cross Members on the trailer, my I have underbelly boxes. In the first box. One is a side-to-side box, so it's blocking all that air from hitting the bottom side of the trailer. Uh, plus, in front of that belly box is my spare tire, and it has super singles on it. And On the right side, I have boxes back, uh, the, the left side, and on the right side, I have the car ramps that are stuck in the back. It- gotcha.
0: You know, one of the things we've got to remember here, though, is keeping the air from getting under the trailer is one issue, but if the way you're doing it is with a bunch of odd-shaped appendages, which is kind of what's going on here, boxes and tires, and you're still creating a lot of dirty air.
9: Yeah. There, my other trailer, I have another 53 that has the side skirts on it. I've got the top kit. I've got the leading edge on the front. Um. Actually, I have uh, air tabs on the back of my skirts to help deflect that air past the tandems at the back. Mm-hmm. That trailer is good for about a mile per gallon in my old N14s, and I yeah. saw no noticeable difference between that trailer and my liftgate trailer. It they're very comparable for for fuel efficiency.
0: That's surprising. That's really surprising. That is surprising. Yeah, in fact, if we it's almost the opposite of what we would have expected. I just talked about this earlier. You were saying on on an earlier older less aerodynamic truck, the trailer made a bigger difference. That that's the opposite of what almost all the testing shows.
9: Yeah, is that when I pulled this before, I had my, my 2003 Volvo 770 with the N14 and the 10-speed and 358 rears on it.
0: You know, that was still a pretty um, damn aerodynamic I, truck though, so I'll, I'll yeah, I'll take that back. I mean, yeah. there's there's not a huge difference in aerodynamics there.
9: I had one of my other drivers in one of my other trucks, and he's a bit of a hammerhead, and he always thought I was full of crap whenever I said that trail. everything I put on that trailer made up to a mile per gallon difference until he pulled that trailer. When I got my liftgate, and he took that, and we saw almost a full mile per gallon increase. Yeah. With his driving habits at the um, the six sixty, you know the just a little bit smaller version right. of the, the same truck.
0: Now that mm-hmm. that's what we would expect, but we got to move on. The calls just keep piling up on me here. I think we're running out of phone lines. Let's go to uh, Pennsylvania, Pat. Welcome to the program.
7: Hey guys. So about the um, the deer guard. Peterbilt, at least on the 579 model, they actually put a, a metal bar um, on the hood, the inside of the hood, right behind the grill to protect the front end in case of a deer strike. It's certainly not quite as heavy duty as, you know, what you see on, on Alex talk, but I like knowing it's there anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah Volvo
1: has, has that option as well for the integrated front end protection like that. The problem with deer strikes with the hidden protection is – at least on a Volvo, for whatever reason, every time you hit a deer, it takes out one of the headlights. It seems like, and then you have to either be repaired or towed from the side of the road, and then it counts against your CSA score. So having ah, that exterior yeah. guard that 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 stops that, you can drive away, and if you can drive away, it won't count against your your uh, safety score.
7: Yeah, yeah, I definitely rather have the big one if I knew I was going to hit them. So I'm actually calling about DPS. So I got Mm -hmm. two trucks. I've got one I definitely have an issue with. One I'm not sure if I have an issue. So I used my two 2020 Anthems with MP7. Mm I bought those trucks. They had 125,000 miles. They're DPS, both of them had a 45% restriction. 90,000 miles later, they kind of hang there. I mean, they're always between like 45 and 60% restriction. To go up a few points, down a few points, but they're right there, no problems. They don't regen. I mean, it's just great. My older Mac, 2015, since I've owned that one, um, its BPF restriction was anywhere from like 85 to 120, um, like just an issue. I never had to do a part three gen, but it was just it was always really full. Cool. So recently, I cleaned it. I had the the whole cleaning zone where you take it out, send it out to a shop. They, they clean it real good. Came back. It looked great. It was at 17%. Um, but it quickly rose back up to actually 130 and then gave me D rate codes, park three gen, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, well, what the hell is going on? So it does, it's having another fault code for, um, SDR conversion. We did all the diagnostics on that. It probably needs a new SDR box, but through all of that diagnostic, they did injector testing, um, they did ETR testing, they did everything and everything passed. So I'm not like mm-hmm. trying to figure out why can't I get this BPF healthy on this truck? Because it's just, it's constant hundred percent. And I'm just waiting for another D rate code with a guy, you know, hours away. And it's just, it's been cleaned and whatnot. And I just, I can't figure out how to, how to fix it. So uh,
1: on the difference between your 2020 max and your 2015, um, is going to be, Common rail fuel injection, wave piston, um, and mm-hmm. a higher compression ratio, which is a big, big deal. Um, and what what's your duty cycle again?
7: What are what are you doing? It's local, um, local bull calling. So it's it's not okay. a good duty cycle. But
1: are the are the rear axle ratios the same between the two?
7: Yeah, they are. They're all three twenty five on the max. Okay.
1: So, one of the things that, um, and do you know if you have the same shift logic um, on the Max or do you have maybe a different yeah. shift logic in the 20? they Okay. They're both basic. What, what it's called on the sheet. Okay. So, basically the big advantage your newer trucks have are, are because of, of the, the common rail and the, the wave piston and, and the higher compression ratio. Um, I am absolutely certain that they probably have also tweaked some of the programming in the engine as far as how the VGT is working on them because those are not turbo compounded engines. Um, and the newer trucks obviously are benefiting from that. Um, you you may struggle with this on the 2015, um, One of the things that we do in house and a lot of people freak out when I say this, but we have done it for years. We used to send our, our filters out and have them baked and do all the the stuff they do. We will power wash them. If you still had 17% restriction, that tells me that there was something still in that filter, whether it's a lot of times in a Volvo, they'll get some coolant, uh, into the exhaust uh through pinhole leaks on the uh, on the uh the exhaust gas cooler that won't show up but they'll have these very very small pinhole leaks especially on the older model trunks if you've never replaced that egr cooler this may be where this is happening what what would happen on the very early models before they put the nonstick coating on that EGR cooler is they would coke over and they would create hot spots and you'd get these itty-bitty little pinhole leaks on the welds. And um, that would allow just a little bit of coolant to stream into the, uh, the DPF filter All the baking in the world will not remove that. You have to wet wash it in order to get rid of that coolant. So I don't know who done it or how they done it, Um, but we just pull them out with a pressure washer and we'll wash them out. And almost inevitably we'll have this little bit of red water will come running out and that removes all that residual stuff. And it doesn't have to be super high pressure. Just any old pressure washer will work and it'll get that residual coolant out that oftentimes... You'll see on the Volvo, especially with the 11 liters and those EGR coolers. The other thing is, sometimes when you have emission systems cleaned, um, one of the reasons that Volvo doesn't rec- recommend that is that is a caustic solution and it supposedly strips away that nonstick coating that they put in the EGR cooler. And when that strips away, then you get the coking issue back, you get the hot spot issue back, and you get the pinhole leaks back. You won't see that on the 2020s. Um, they've done a really good job at, at taking care of that. So if you have not replaced the EGR cooler on that truck, definitely have them pressure test that, and see if they can come up with any leaks on it. You could pull that DPS okay. yourself and, and pressure wash it. And if anything red comes out of that when you pressure wash it, and it'll be very noticeable to you,
7: I think I would probably pull that EGR cooler and put a new EGR cooler on it. Okay, I might just do that, I, I, so, all right, so that would be your only real thing that might be wrong that I should actually fix uh, and if it well, that, live with it?
1: Th- that's where okay. I would should start. It, um, you know, in 2015, it be- you're still back at that time frame when, you know, the, the manufacturers were really still working through a lot of this stuff, and especially in your duty cycle. Um, You know, most drivers, and obviously you're well aware of this, when you're in a urban duty cycle, your typical average RPMs are way up, so you're pumping a lot of cool air through the engine, and Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to control without the wave piston and and the the common rail injection. So, you're going to have more soot in that duty cycle with a 2015. It's just the way it's going to be. Joel, this
3: is Henry on that. I'm not a Volvo guy, but is that updated Mm -hmm. EGR cooler able to be put on that engine he has?
1: Uh, It it should be. Um, I, I don't think there's a problem with that. I think that it's actually, that's kind of a a retroactive thing with that that coating. I think every new EGR cooler they build, regardless of what year engine, I I believe, and I'll try
0: and verify that, but I believe that it does have that that nonstick coating on it. All right. We're going to head to North Carolina this time. Matt, welcome to the program.
12: Hey, good afternoon, guys. Um, got a three part question basically. So, the first one I guess we could talk about is we're talking about uh, lift axles and stuff on trailers. I've done about everything aerodynamic that I possibly could except for wheel covers, and I haven't been out to gym to do the bearings. Lift axle on a closed tandem drive van, hauling light all the time. Makes sense. Uh, I got a yeah. quote of two grand <laughs> to do
3: it. Yes, it makes
12: sense. Uh, w- any idea what the fuel mileage increase might be?
3: What what I have found, and I hate that it works out to such an even number, and Joel, you can second this because you've played around with this, but I found that on average when you lift an axle, it's right around a
0: half. And I hate saying right around a half because it sounds... No, you're you're,
1: you're right. I was going to say <laughs> three-tenths to a half. I, you're exactly right. I,
0: I was going to say three-tenths. So, and, Henry, we've talked about this before. I, I get so tired of saying three-tenths all the time. But a lot of times that's just the number. And I, some of it, I think, is it's really difficult to measure two-tenths or less. So a lot of times I think it so, is kind so, of this three-tenths number. Here's the other thing. I I've talked about this in the past. I keep seeing everybody that puts out fuel mileage numbers, does it with percentages. Oh, if you do this, you get an extra 10%. Oh, so that means one truck gets a half a mile per gallon, but Joel gets 1.3 miles to the gallon. How, how does that work? Kevin, let me, let me <laughs> take,
8: take that a step farther on that
3: though. So, you know, they go with percentages and, I kind of actually like the percentages, and something that got me, where I was more of a believer on it, when AT Dynamics was doing the trailer tail, they wanted me to put one on my trailer, and they were averaging, they were advertising five to yeah. seven <laughs> well, percent. At the time, I was at nine and a half mile of the gallon. Right. And I'm like, you know, that's a pretty big jump. But you know what? Well, I got 6.8% increase.
0: So let, let's go back. And this is why we could go all over the board with this. We've talked several times today. The more aerodynamic the tractor is, the more the trailer aerodynamics become important. That's a specific area. But let's talk about something like rolling resistance. You can't tell me a tire is going to get 5% better fuel economy. the, The truck and everything else doesn't matter much here. If anything, you would almost think it's the opposite. The worse somebody's fuel economy it is, the easier it is to improve it. So in your case with that trailer, that may be the one place where the percentage actually made some sense. But in most cases, it's almost the opposite.
12: So the next question, Joel, is CXU 613 and it is a 2017, mm-hmm. you, you nailed it right on the head when we first talked about this two years ago when I was in the truck Well, looking for one to buy used. But mm-hmm. seven and a half. Mm-hmm. I can't seem to do a whole lot better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, air dog, wheel covers and out to see gym. Is there anything left or am I pretty much
1: maxed out on this? Well, no, um, because I, I've done significantly better than that. I am going to expect when you get out to see Jim, you're going to find some wheel bearings because typically, when I get frustrated and hung up on a truck like this, and I and I know better and I shouldn't do this, I, I'm kind of like you. I'm thinking, oh man, that's it, and there's something wrong with the engine, there's something this or that, and boom, I find three of the axles had tight wheel bearings. We fix that situation, and bam, there goes the fuel mileage. So get out the gym have them wheel bearings on the truck and the trailer taken care of first. Um, and if you're going to put an air dog on it, uh, what, what's the rear axle ratio in your truck? 264 air,
12: air dogs already on. Yep.
1: Okay. All right. I, like I said, I have flow below, you name it. Okay. Okay. 264. Um, you know, you, and how fast are you running? <laughs> well, that was going to be actually my next question to you. So,
12: I've been trying to stay right around 60, 62 at the very most, and Mm -hmm. I haul what you do out of Ohio, um, so I'm light. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't think running 77 up and down north, you know, from Ohio down to Charlotte was all that bad, seven and a half miles in a gallon, really. But the other day, I ran strict 55 in 11th with it locked in in 11th, Mm
2: -hmm. 1240
12: Mm -hmm. RPM. And I did see eight
1: the entire trip. Mm-hmm. Twelve hundred and forty RPM, gotcha. am I pushing it too much or And not on a not on a V G T, you're not. Now for a for a TC, that would kinda of be goofy. Um but for the V G T it's it's a little more comfortable at higher RPM. Um, you know, the it doesn't start making peak horsepower till like thirteen sixty, I think, on that engine. So No, that's a, that's an acceptable range. You don't want to get much higher than that. So if that works for you and you can run that speed, um, if you're very, very light or empty, you should be able to run an overdrive at that speed, just fine with that engine. It's not going to hurt a damn thing. And then when you get into the hills or you have a little more weight on it, you know, lock it in indirect. I think that that's a good plan. Um, also get them wheel bearings checked. I, I got a, I've got a sneaking suspicion that this is, it might be an eye opener for you. So get that done and then call us back. Get it done, run it for you know a couple weeks, see what it does, and then call us back and uh, I'll have a few more ideas for you. I think uh, um,
0: when you call back.
12: All right, I will do. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the weekend. You're
0: welcome. Awesome. Thanks for the call. Later. Let's go to Texas this time. Paul, welcome.
6: Howdy. Um, I'd know about aerodynamics. Minor. <laughs> 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 All the way. All the time. <laughs> if I'm the and, you know, if I run across I like 20 from Dallas to Mississippi, if I'm empty and I'm not in a big hurry, I can get a whopping six and a half, six point seven miles to the gallon.
0: That's impressive.
6: Yeah. When I'm empty, I'm 45,000 pounds, empty weight. But um, aerodynamics is a big challenge. But when I saw those numbers that... Gold pulled out of your fuel gauges. I didn't feel too bad about my overall average.
0: (laughs) No, you're right. No, you're. I wasn't. I
6: wasn't wasn't far behind the Cummins average.
0: (laughs) That's right.
6: But I know I've got ugly aerodynamics. Um, you were talking about someone else's long wheelbase Mm -hmm. revolver? What wheelbase Mm -hmm. is that? Do you know?
1: Uh it's it's plenty long. Um he runs a reefer, kind of an old school guy and he's always worried about, you know, hitting the reefer on the back of the cab, getting into a situation and, and so, you know, that was his comfort level. I'm gonna tell you, I'm not sure, but I I think he's out close to two forty five or two fifty on that.
6: So do, do, do Volvo have any wheelbase restrictions on, on that? on that truck, on that VN, they, VNL? They,
1: well, not necessarily restriction. You have to get an approval, I think, once you go past 250. Engineering has to give you an approval on it.
6: Okay. Because if I was going to build one, if it was a boot it would be 279, but with the Volvo, I think that it would work out to be 262, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I've got a couple of guys that've done longer frames that are, are pulling cars and cabin chassis-type things that have to have the longer wheelbases. And you simply have to tell them what you're going to do with it, and then they'll get you an approval, and then then they'll build it. But it, it has okay. to have engineering approval. Yep.
6: Yep. Because so, what I'd like to get would be a brand-new Peterbilt 389 with Volvo turbo compound. <laughs> Drugs.
1: That, that would be interesting, wouldn't
6: it? <laughs> yeah, but I'm pretty sure my money is not that big. So. Yeah, <laughs> Probably dream, not. Dreams of dreams so <laughs> uh, right, I'll let you get to someone awesome. else.
0: All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome, hey, welcome to the program.
10: Hey, guys. Well, Paul. Howdy. Don't forget to call <laughs> Joel Murrow when you want to smash that driveway with them big balloon tires he's got. <laughs> <laughs> he could make that, man, it look like a steamroller. It wouldn't take you 90 seconds. There you go. <laughs> and Paul wants a 389 with a Volvo. I want a 389 with a 2WS for a 6NZ and an 18-speed. I want a retire Billy Big Rigger. What the hell? There you go. <laughs> there no, you I'm go. not going to do it because I kind of like my eight-plus mile-per-gallon Volvo. Um, nice. Joel, this one's an 18 VGT. Mm-hmm. Two questions. On the iShift, mm-hmm. Auto, mm-hmm. obviously, it's not an automatic. It's an automated manual. Mm-hmm. Is that thing yep. actually using the clutch, or is it doing what us old-school guys used to do? When we floated gears, how's it work?
1: Uh, it's using the clutch.
10: Oh, it is? Okay. Boy, it's damn smooth it at it. I I was never that smooth. It the clutch. is. Yeah, it is. It, it, <laughs> it's, re- it, it's really it, it good. Not only
3: use, it not only uses the clutch, but I know in the case of the... It uses the gig-
0: hey, you know, I... I, I what did I, you say, Henry? Correct. Say that again, Henry. Herschel didn't hear you.
3: On on the I don't know the Volvo does this, but on the Detroit it actually uses the jakes to make it, make some of the shifts faster as well. So it
0: matches up the RPMs faster. Yeah, I I kind of miss this argument. You know, every now and then I used to get somebody who would call in and scream at me because I said I did all my shifting without a clutch, and they said I was going to destroy my transmission. Never seemed to happen though.
10: <laughs> You know, i done it for years, I too. And it never happened. Right. So I yeah. Joel, the other one about this Volvo, this is weird. Never seen this before. I could have it out in the driveway, plug it in when I come home. So I come home every night. Go out the next morning, start it up. Even if it's plugged in, doesn't matter. It'll still do it. On the bottom left, underneath your DEF page... There is a light. It kind of looks like a coil spring laying on its side. Yep, 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 yep. And I was looking in the Volvo Master Group that you have, and somebody said it's some kind of a damn preheater or something, and they said you can push... They say you can push the yes. ignition switch key yes. and make it do yes. something and I push mine and sure enough it pushes what the hell is that? <laughs> What's it doing? It's just like a
1: it's just, it's just like a toaster grid. <laughs> and when it is cold outside it's heating up the incoming air in in the air intake.
10: Okay, so when it's really cold, should you reach over and shove the key every now and then warm it up faster or what? Why is that? Um, w- why does w- it do when that? you're gonna
1: well, when you're going to start it cold, if you don't want to plug your truck in, you can go out there 10 minutes before you want to start it and push that in and it'll start to heat the air intake and she'll fire right up In you know, 40 degree below temperature. I would personally still plug stuff in if you have the ability oh, to do it and and then use that air intake and it's just that much easier on the engine when you're it's sucking in nice warm air on a, a below zero morning.
10: Well, that must explain. This is the damnedest engine I've ever seen. My house and where I keep my trailer when I come home at night is 2.5 miles apart, so not very far. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you and many others, Dick from the master's group, says don't go out, start that thing, and just let it run for a half an hour like we always used to do. Go out, fire it up, let it build air, sign in your electronic Logging, BS, and just take off and take off easy. So that's what I do. Yep. Two 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 yep. and a half miles, I hook up my trailer, yep. and I take off. By the time I hit US 35, which grand total is maybe six miles from my driveway, I got heat coming out of the dash in this thing. I've never there seen these engines <laughs> this big get that warm that fast. I've never seen anything like it.
1: Yeah, it's got what they called warm hold functionality. And, um, yeah, they warm up pretty damn quick. So, yes, and absolutely.
10: This one here, one more and I'll leave you alone. On the valve cover. It says it right on the valve cover. 500 slash 1700. I thought they were five hundred eighteen yes. fifty.
1: 1850. Now, the newer ones are, there is a 500... At 1700, um, there's a five hundred seventeen fifty. 1750 uh, there's a 500-EcoTorque, which is 1750-1550, so there's a bunch of different variations of that.
10: Interesting. Yeah, because this one's 500-1700, so you were talking about peak horsepower, and I think I heard you say, this would be M V D T that when I'm climbing, around 13 or 1350 is where it's got its guts.
3: Yeah, that's, so that that's right to, where
1: peak horsepower is. That it.
10: seems to be where this one likes to pull, is about 1,300, and she'll just mm-hmm. go. It is yes. it's kind of amazing, in a way, for a 13-liter engine. This is kind of a yep. baby after driving the fifteenth all this time. hmm Okay.
6: Mm-hmm.
10: All right, guys. Yep. You. No, every, everything's
0: spot on there.
6: Good deal. Good deal. Thank
0: you. All right. Yep. Thanks for the call let's head off to Texas. Shane, welcome to the program. You all there? Yep, we're here. What's on your mind today? I am here.
11: Okay, sorry about that. I dropped the call when I was on a while ago, and I thought i just dropped it again. The question I had when I called in and didn't get to it was, would it be beneficial to add one of those stainless wings to the top of this no. The 389? No! Not no, no, but no, hell no, no, no. no, no. Hell,
0: let's all yell <laughs> at him
1: at
2: I the same that. time. <laughs> <laughs> no, <Right.
6: laughs> yeah, yeah, don't do that.
8: It, it, it's Josh. funny. An
3: aerodynamicist said to me about that with the turbo Mate. wings. And he believes that if you put one of them upside I, down. Henry, I was just going to say it that.
0: <laughs> you, you stole my thunder. I was just going to tell him, if you already have one, turn it upside down. It might actually work better. <laughs> hey. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, did we lose the call? We did lose the call. Oh, yeah, hey, just dropped out. Um, they,
3: didn't, they, they didn't like no. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said he had problems
0: earlier. He dropped too. Yeah, just a quick explanation for this, because when when the first time I heard it, it made total sense. Because you look at this and you think, okay, it you know blocks the wind from hitting the front of that big flat trailer. The 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 easiest explanation for this is the goal in aerodynamics is to keep the air flowing smoothly along the vehicle. We don't want it to break away from the vehicle. Then it creates turbulence. So if we look at what a wing's doing, it's actually making the air shoot away from the trailer. We're breaking the wind away from the vehicle. And instead, if you look at what a factory fairing does, it curves the other way. So as the wind starts to follow the fairing, it lays the wind right along the top of the trailer where we want it. We don't want it to break away from the trailer.
3: Plus, the other thing that a quote wing which really it's an airfoil creates is down force. Like people don't realize that like an Indy car with all the quote wings they're actually airfoils. They yeah. have a terrible drag coefficient right. compared to like say a NASCAR cup car.
0: Yeah, the the point is to use that air, the force of the air to push down against the track for traction
3: which was the last thing we need to do with a truck. Right. Push down harder. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. Have I have a s- load to do that. I, I said we should fill a trailer up with helium once and see what it does. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Anybody have anything they want to wrap this up with? This was a good show today. Thank you, guys. Yeah. One
1: real quick thing. So, you, you know, when I started my testing and consulting business, i done it with the full intention that I'm going to have one truck and I'm really going to focus on the testing and consulting and, you know, that that's going to be my main business. The freight's just going to be a necessary evil. You, gotta, you know, I'm getting drugged down that friggin' ramp.
2: <laughs> like you
1: get out, you run a few loads and the phone just will not stop ringing. And what's kind of really goofy is, you know, my furniture stuff, let's face it, the rates pretty damn strong on this stuff when, I, when I do it. And, um, we just got a call. Oh, we're so glad that you're doing this because, you know, <laughs> we're going to be so busy coming up and I've got all these shows that I'm gonna do, i so oh, going to no, go out and yeah. rent a
9: truck yeah. and get yeah. a driver. And Oh my no. gosh, it's just, uh, <laughs> it,
1: it, it's crazy. Cause I'm torn. I, you know, I love to do the, the testing stuff, but, uh, Uh, You know, I'm also a guy that likes to be out on the road too, so I love doing them both and and trying to accommodate both of them. It it can be a trick, but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm getting – I don't know. I – I didn't really want to own any trucks. You know, I'd done that early on in my career, and I worked for my brother, and I didn't have that headache. And I can see this already. I'm going to end up with five or six trucks that I never really wanted to have. But you
0: know, the, I, I
1: guess the, it's a good problem I, to
0: have. I, I know the feeling. The hardest decision I made, and I think back to when I made it now, and, and I'm glad I made it. It actually turned out to be the right decision. The hardest decision I made was to get rid of the mm-hmm. trucks. You know, it, it, I just thought, you know, that I love doing this testing. I love being able to prove it. I love having my hands on this every day. But it, it also took time away from things that I, I just think bring more value. I mean, it... it so, but boy, you know, I, I sat there and just thought that over and over, but if I sell this, am I going to regret this? I mean, it was a hell of a business. I put about two hours a week into it made an awful lot of money. Um, so it was, right, right, yeah. and, and it did give me more credibility and it gave me more options to test things, but it, it was, it was tough to sell that, but it turned out to be the right thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I hear you. It's, uh. It's 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 interesting, especially for this to be happening right now, when so many people are. oh, of the market's so horrible <laughs> right. and don't get the right. trucking and stuff. Yeah. And myself yeah. personally, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, I just I, literally, I hear my brother would say this all the time. You know, he sees up to about a hundred trucks, and he's like, "I can run two hundred right now." You know, he said yeah, the right. market right. that that crazy and I am the same way now I mean if I had 10 trucks right now I could have them all just as busy yeah. as busy could be and and, and at decent rates when right. everybody says that we're right. we're in this Horrible economy and everything
0: sucks. I I don't see it. Maybe I'm just an optimistic kind of guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't know, but I don't see it. (laughs) You make an interesting point right now, and this is something I've talked about forever. We're, We're kind of approaching the bottom, really. I mean, it's not horrible. These rates are still really good. But we've pulled back quite a bit. You know, fuel prices went up. And um, what happened was I, I would be the, in the same. If somebody calls me right now and, and wants to get into the industry, I'm doing everything I can to discourage them. It's not a good time right now if you're brand new at this. But if you've got this nailed down, you know how to do this. You know how to spec trucks. You know how to operate them right. You know how to build. The, if, if you know how to do things right, this is still a great environment in trucking right now. Yeah, I, I
1: agree. I absolutely I agree. agree. I uh, I just don't know about all the pissing and moaning that y'all we do. We're such I whiners. <laughs> it drives me nuts. <laughs> it's like we're a, we, a big bunch of pussy whiners. That, have, you know, yeah, it's just a
0: that, I couldn't agree more. It's funny yeah. when you
3: when you say about that because the you know I do similar things to you. you mm-hmm. all know that with the consulting Joel, the freight becomes mm-hmm. an end to a means.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. No, exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it so. makes sense, Joel, for you yeah, to well, have look, tr- have trucks and, and but it's it's also a lot of work. And then you think, okay, you know <laughs> I'm doing this work, and in in some ways, all I'm doing is generating revenue, but there's more than that for you. You are out there proving other things, and you're testing things, but you you look at the work every minute you have to put into those trucks, you think, oh, but I could have been working on this Mm -hmm. project. I mean, that's ultimately what made me make the decision, even though it was a couple hours a week. Some weeks, it was a little more than that. And it always seemed like when I was working on some really important project— was when I'd get the call at two o'clock in the morning that somebody's broke down sixty miles from a major city, and I have to spend the next ten hours <laughs> yeah, trying no, to I, figure out how to fix it. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, I hear it's, you. It's, it's hey,
1: just, hey, real quick. Yeah. Real quick, totally, totally off subject. I just remembered this. I found a company. You, you know, you've heard of the regenerative braking on trucks? Yeah. I have found a company that. Is building a replacement for the shock absorbers oh. and the up and down motion. They're turning hey. it into electricity. It is the coolest hey. damn thing. I'm going to call these people and see if I can get these things.
0: Yeah, you know wow. what? It it I don't know how much difference that might make, but it's kind of cool if not if it tops off your battery. It, you know, it might be worth it. Well, that's uh, what I will. I wanted to charge my uh, my APU. Yeah, yeah. So here's a uh, here's an interesting story about that when I, you know, got invited by Bose to come and see their seat when they were still developing it before it had been released. It, what a great trip that was. Mm-hmm. I got to meet Dr. Amar Bose. We got to tour the whole factory. They put us in a beautiful hotel, took us out to great mm-hmm. dinners. I mean, it was an awesome trip. But one of the things I remember, I got to talk to the engineers and I heard the story about how this whole thing came about. One of their biggest mm-hmm. problems that they had to solve was with all these actuators and computer chips, I mean, this seat was power hungry. And in the beginning on their Mm -hmm. test trucks, they were putting bigger alternators on the truck just to handle the seat. (laughs) And they said, yeah, that's not going to work. That's not practical. They did the exact same thing. They turned the up and down motion of that seat into a generator, and that was enough to solve the problem. That's how yeah, the bow seat worked. Re- yep. The bow seat recaptured its own power yeah. from the movement. Yeah, he
1: says he can put this on the suspension on the truck and trailer, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into that. Yeah, pretty cool. I love stuff be like that. To hear yeah. about that, Joel. Yeah. yeah. What's that, Henry?
3: I'll be interested to hear about that because I know on Yeah, I uh, knew they were messing mm-hmm. around with that of trying to recapture the energy from the shocks.
1: I'll uh, I'll send you the link. I'll send you both the link that I've got to this, and I, I think he's floating around out there on YouTube or one of those with some short videos as well. Small little company. Younger
0: guy, but it seems he, like he's really got his shit together, so um, it would be I, I, interesting to see it, what he's got you know, It'd be interesting to on. talk to him and see... I don't know if I'm thinking very clearly. If we have shocks that could generate power, would it make sense to put more of them on? Possibly.
1: Possibly. i got to see exactly how it's working. Yeah. Um, we'll get some more details on it. Yeah, I'd love to get this guy on and pick his brain. It, 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 invite so, him on. Uh, yeah, we'll invite yeah, him on. If yeah, he wants I'll to come see, on, we'll do that. Yeah.
0: All right, I'll see if I can make contact with them and what we can get done. All right, sounds good. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Great show today. Thanks for all the calls. Thanks to uh, Joel and Henry. We'll do it again next week. Have a great weekend. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.